0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, the Thursday, April 7th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. So as you may have noticed, um, uh, for all the folks who are subscribed to this very podcast, that uh, there's not been a new episode in this feed in several days. Um, I think we're nearing like a week. Um, It's been a really rough week uh, for me to be completely honest. And I'm not really going to go too into that, uh, on this podcast. I'm probably going to write about it on the sub stack sports, renaissance, Com, But, um, yeah, it's just been an extremely difficult, uh, week for me on, on my, own personally, professionally, uh, a lot going on. So I, um, I'll expand more on that in due time, but, uh, it's just been, just been a lot. So I apologize on Uh, the fact that we have not had a new episode in several days. So starting today, uh, we should be back in terms of consistency and getting content out for you guys um, every day. So we're back um, for the foreseeable future, but there was a delay and uh, I apologize on that front for what was going on there. But again, I'll divulge a little bit more of that as uh, the days go on and um, write about it, and I just prefer that sort of medium for this kind of thing. But um, on today's show, we got Eric Pinkus of Bleacher Report, um, great NBA writer, and we talked—you guessed it—All Things NBA. It was it was a great conversation with Eric. He's just uh, he has so much knowledge, just a wealth of knowledge that I very much appreciate and. Uh, I learned a lot, which is uh, which is always great on this very podcast, so thank you again to Eric for coming on. I also had Coach Josh Niblett of Gainesville High School back in the home state of Georgia. Um, it, he was the Hoover head coach, Hoover, Alabama, um, for many years, and now he is taking a new job across state lines in Georgia to coach the Red Elephant, so got to know Josh and uh, his past, his um, coaching style, um, how what makes him tick, uh, why Red Elephant fans should be excited about him leading their program on Friday Night Lights this fall. Um, but yeah, Josh uh, was a lot of fun to talk to and I very much appreciate him making that time on this podcast so yeah jam-packed show for you guys uh today and uh thank you again for your patience as uh this week's been just insane um don't forget folks if you're not already make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode Um, but if you're listening to this and you have already subscribed and listened to these episodes but you have not already left this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast, please do uh, hit that pause button and uh, make a note and take care of that today. That would help more than you know. You can also watch this very program. Yeah, we're on YouTube, youtube youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find it. Hit that subscribe button. Watch all the videos and all the content if you would prefer to to watch these shows rather than just listen. So you can do that. Um, Daily newsletter, um, that's going to pick back up and more on that in a little bit. Um, Sports Renaissance Man. Type in your email. Never miss a uh, new piece from me. Sports Renaissance Man. That's me. Substack.com. You can email this very program at Chase Thomas Podcast at Gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Chase Double Underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go chase thomas Podcast. the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to
1: record see i hate i already hate it i hate it
0: all right we're back here on the chase thomas podcast where i am joined by one of my favorite basketball minds Bleacher report it's eric pinkus eric how are you doing sir
1: uh not too bad thanks for having me on appreciate it
0: Thanks for being here. You got Jerry West behind you. You got the the sports business classroom behind you. You got the sports business classroom merch. You're you're all ready yeah. to go. I like it.
1: Oh, yeah. I got yeah, I'm all set up. I've got my trophy from winning a fantasy league at some point right there. So, you know, you know, I'm I'm I got my space decked out. You know, ever since we kind of had to work from home a little bit more, I, mm-hmm. I figured I'd make myself a nice little space to actually operate out of for for the time being it's been very productive so yes let's uh let's dig right in what you got for me today
0: there you go uh what fa- was it fantasy football basketball what which oh, fantasy award basketball.
1: is it yeah i mean i've done football years ago i did some survivor pools but i'm not uh-huh. an nfl guy i watch the super bowl i watch a little bit here and there mm-hmm. uh i baseball is probably my second outside of okay. basketball it's probably the sport i watch the most but it's it's marginal and i don't you know, I've never done a baseball fantasy. So no, I'm like 99% NBA. That's sort of, I barely watched college. Like I didn't even have mm-hmm. time to do a bracket this year, but I did watch a lot of the tournament, but just uh, didn't have time to fill out my wild guesses. Cause it would, it just would have been darting. Like, I don't even know. well we're on the same wavelength where it's like um, I mean I watch
0: everything in in terms of like I've never been a bracket person that's never been something that interests me and the sports Renaissance woman hates that she's like doing it and Mm -hmm. she like wants to like compete and I'm like I don't think you like it's just I don't have a context for it where I haven't watched the majority of these teams play and it just seems silly for me to like put any like into have any sort of emotional investment in these teams that I haven't watched like I don't want to watch these games and be like man I hope Providence wins because I have them going to the final four it's like why do I need to have that in? Like, I I just would rather watch this game and see what happens. And I, I don't, I'm not a bracket person. And I think right. Eric and I were, we're
1: on our own Island here. So maybe we can just yeah. create it. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. Like it, it adds when you have like, I don't know, skin in the game. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. really what you have, but like you kind. it, when you have a rooting interest, it helps, especially if you, if the quality isn't great, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the the teams may stink it up, but you and like I'm my kids like when I'm watching a game <clears throat> they'll they'll be like who are we rooting for like they need to know like you know, an NBA game or whatever like which which team am I you know is it the red team or the blue team or the you know like which which is the one that I'm supposed to root for and I think I don't know maybe that's just like a, a human nature thing so but I try to do brackets I half-heartedly do them I'm not I'm a pro personnel guy mm-hmm. We can talk about NBA players all day uh, NBA situations all day uh, but until they get until a college player gets on like the NBA radar they're not on my radar i mean <laughs> a little bit of ucla cuz that's where i went mm. um, and i'm aware of like the dukes and the kentuckys and you know like arizona and some of the i know the pac 12 or whatever like a little bit better than others i was gonna say pac 10 which kind of goes to show like i barely know what i'm saying anyway so all good it's always Um, changing
0: it it, yeah that stuff becomes outdated i mean the big 10 still calling itself the big 10 and we're 14 deep so it doesn't matter like the names don't mean anything anymore exactly um but you know it's funny you bring that up with the college ball and everything else like i'm a big balls guy obviously and i'm here a grad student but um the sportsman was watching and because I'm Hawks guy, Atlanta local and all that kind of stuff. And I watch uh, Hawks games and I watch like you primarily NBA and she like walked in the room not too long ago and was like, is this NBA? And I was like, yep. And she was like, this is so different than college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, they just score. They just go back and forth and they're just so fluid. And it's just right. everything in college just looks, especially in the national title where everything looks so painful. Like every possession, like you're having to just go it's above a and beyond. It it's so much of a grind and the NBA just makes it look so easy. And I'm like, it's what they're doing is incredibly complicated. It just, they're so good at their craft that it just looks effortless and easy. But it's interesting for someone who just does not uh, ingest in as much as we do that just walks by and like, oh, my God, the 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 contrast between the two is stark.
1: For sure. I agree wholeheartedly.
0: <laughs> well, Eric, we're going to talk uh, about your team that you cover, uh, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, in just a bit. But I want to start, um, what have you been thinking about with... The last few weeks of the season, we got a couple games left for most teams. Now, Um, what uh, what storylines have you been thinking thinking a lot about of late? What have you been keeping up with that you've just found yourself thinking about a lot in the NBA as of late?
1: Well, there's been a lot of talk about um, the MVP vote, Mm -hmm. you know, like race, the scoring title, things like that. And those are nice accolades, and they they matter. I'm they're not my most important thing, but um, like. Does LeBron, Embiid, uh, and Giannis, I think, has fallen enough back that that it's probably Embiid and maybe LeBron if he plays. Uh, you don't have Jokic in there. Uh, well, I'm saying as far as scoring title. Oh, scoring, scoring title. title. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. But then as far as MVP, no, because LeBron certainly wouldn't be MVP mm-hmm. if we're talking MVP, uh, as great as he was this year individually as a scorer. Um, <clears throat> but as far as MVP, like I could definitely argue Jokic mm-hmm. uh, that the Nuggets – are basically a few a couple games back or whatever, two and a half games back of the Sixers. Mm-hmm. And I look at the talent on the Sixers and I feel like the Nuggets don't have as much talent active, right? Cuz Porter Jr's Jr. <clears throat> hurt, uh, Murray's hurt. So you look at that team and say man, if you if Jokic didn't play, how bad would Denver be? I mean, they would be really bad. And I feel like um when they had Andre Drummond the Sixers were still pretty solid when Embiid didn't play. I don't know the record; they weren't great, but they weren't like they weren't the same. But like, it, it was still like you've got a, like Maxi and Tobias and like a good defender and Tybele and Green, like there's role players. They had Seth Curry before you know before the trade. Now they have James Harden. Like they, they've still had different variations of uh, better teams than than the Nuggets. And and I look at what mm. Jokic is doing with you know he's he's the centerpiece. He's the point guard basically. You know he's he's the point center, and yet he he can hit threes, and he's not a liability on defense. He's not necessarily like a lockdown defender, but like the Nuggets, they get they they're getting the job done. They're just a hair behind Giannis, and and um Giannis has a championship team. Yes, he's the best player, you know. And then it gets it. Well, do you just choose the best player in the league? And that's a different story because I don't know if Jokic is the best player in the league. He's probably not as great as he is. He. Probably has the biggest impact on his individual team that makes him the most valuable. But most valuable to the league is that still Giannis? Probably. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't have Kevin I Durant. Steve,
0: I would still put Kevin Durant at one at this
1: you point. Could, you could say yeah. Kevin Durant, but then his team yeah. is, you know, and then that's the thing. It's like how much does it? it, it like, okay, LeBron is still one of the best players in the yeah. league, and his team didn't make the playoffs. So KD, it's just in the play mm-hmm. and and I I don't know how you say like so there there was a point historically where it was almost like exclusively the MVP would be the best player on the best team. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you would have a team like the Spurs where it would be like, is it Tim Duncan? Is it Ginobili? Is it Parker? And so maybe those votes get diluted where Duncan's not flashy enough and probably should have more MVPs than he did, mm-hmm. uh, but he didn't get them. And so then you would go to the second best team. And then there mm-hmm. would be an outlier like, um, uh, outlier like, um, like when Russ Westbrook got um, averaged a triple double for the first time since Oscar Robertson, that was like okay MVP. That's that's an, an achievement that kind of bucked that trend. But I think in recent years it's kind of gone away from that. <clears throat> I think it's you know they've looked at just the best team. I, well, I, I forget where the Bucks finished last year. I th- were they they have the best team last year? I'm going to pull it up right real quick. No, I think we they talk. were third. They were like, like right second or third. Um, yeah, um, 2021. They were. No, they yeah they were way down. They were one. The Jazz had the best record, right? Yeah. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The Bucks had the seventh best record, right? So it's kind, Mm -hmm. it's kind of adjusted a little bit. You look at like the Suns, and it's hard to say. Well, like I can argue Booker should be MVP. Like Mm -hmm. I can make that argument, but he missed some games. Some you know, but sorted Embiid. You know, like I, you know, I don't, I don't know the criteria. I don't think we as media know the criteria. We by voting for MVP. I don't vote, but you know, I, I I come from the LA Times background of like that's not our role. I worked for the LA Times for like five years, and it's like you don't you don't. We shouldn't have a say in such things, and that they impact contract decisions for Supermax yeah. type contracts is a is a problematic thing. So uh, these things do matter in that regard. Outside of just being fun, um, so mm-hmm. I mean that's kind of like. You know, I've been living in the, you know, being in LA, the, the drama of the Lakers right now is sort of overwhelming because, you know, they missed the playoffs, had championship expectations, and that's sort of taken up a lot of my time. But as I look across the league, some of it's been just, you know, the, the, the races that I mentioned, and then some of it is, you know, the matchups, who's going to be in a play-in, who's going to play whom, and what, what, what are the, what is the playoffs going to look like, um, but generally speaking, I think it's, you know, we're at that stretch of the year where it's just, you know, there's not like everyone's almost established. We kind of know who the teams are. Almost everyone's been eliminated. I guess everyone's been eliminated, right? We know 100% now who are in the the, the 10 teams in each conference who are playing and who's eliminated. Right. So the pool is set. So last few games are just going to be, um, you know, probably I, I, sh- I think some teams are going to fight for position a little bit because maybe they yeah. want to change the seed. But there's going to be some really crappy stuff. <laughs> we're going to see, you know, guys sit. Like LeBron is hurt. Maybe he plays to try to qualify for the scoring title, uh, which he shouldn't. Like, just don't play. I mean, it's it is what it is, you know. Uh, but we're not going to see the best basketball over the next. Well, we've only got four days, five days left. So whatever mm. it is, so yeah, we'll get to the playoffs and the plan. Get there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a mess. I don't.
0: Do you think LeBron wanted to make the plan at this point? Do you think he's known for a while that like this? My time would be served better resting and getting right for next year.
1: No, I mean they wanted to make the plan. I think they thought that they had an opportunity to, like, if they got AD back, um, like they have in some ways better pieces than they had earlier. Uh, the way they constructed the roster, as such, was limited by adding Wenyon Gabriel and Stanley Johnson. They added young, athletic size, mm-hmm. which. Was what they is the op? They had old, unathletic opposite. I don't know what's the mm-hmm. opposite of size. You know what I mean? Like they had smaller players. Yeah. Like you know Ellington, um, like Avery, who's you know basically undersized two guard really. Yeah. But he's like barely six one. Uh, mm-hmm. Although he does have a good wingspan, he plays bigger than he is. Uh but you know older legs. You know Carmelo's their big that they brought in. Dwight is their big that they brought in. Uh, they just it's didn't have any, to, right. And so they did yeah. go with one good long defender who even five years ago, maybe 10 years ago <clears throat> was elite. Yeah. Uh, as a defender and as a role player, but, and he was solid last year for Miami, but the problem is, is guys fall off. They just do. <clears throat> you don't know when it's going to be but when they're around 32 to 36, depends on the position, depends on the player. Anything over 30 is where that, you know, that kind of drop-off can begin. And it just takes one injury. Like Ariza hurt his, his ankle or whatever it was. I forget it was ankle or knee. I think it was ankle. Uh, but it, whatever. A leg injury. And the problem is, is when it's a leg injury, you can't stay in shape, right? Like Chris Paul, well, didn't he hurt his, his hand? I forget. No, what did, what did he hurt this time? I don't know. He gets hurt so much. but This year? Uh, yeah, I forget. What did he hurt this year? Did he?
0: What? Did he? I don't know. I forget. It's been
1: a while. He's already back. So I've already like right. blocked that but, out. I don't even like, remember now. Yeah. But let, let's say you break a thumb, you break a, uh, you hurt your elbow. Um, you're able to still do conditioning, mm-hmm. right? If your back is hurt, your ab, like uh, Dame Lillard had ab stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if your legs, those can be very restricting when it comes to cardio. And so when you're of that age, like Ariza and you have to miss however long you have to miss, you're unlikely to bounce back. And so they, you know, now that but now that they have these younger guys, if LeBron didn't, you know, he was fighting through pain and playing through pain and then tweaked his ankle. Well that, that's kind of the thing is like once you are hurt, you're more likely to get hurt again. Uh typically you're overcompensating for the injured part. So other muscles in your body, other muscle groups take over and your body's basically functioning in a different way which is isn't great for you know we talked about the difference between college and nba like the elite athletes playing at this level they're jumping higher and doing things that are near superhuman you know compared to the rest of the population including the elite college athletes right like mm-hmm. the level above and when you start doing things with different muscle groups and you're more likely to just have and, and look you come down on a foot it, you come down on a foot but like you know, even at like my, my daughter's play plays uh, at, you know, the younger level and Mm. her trainer like has worked on ankle like stabilization where it's like, you're basically giving your ankle muscle muscle memory so that when it starts to sprain, when it starts to, you step on something that your muscle, your, the muscles know like, Oh, I need to react this way. And technology is improving like that. And I'm sure that these athletes do all that, you know, but it, ultimately like when you're hurt, you're more likely to get hurt in a different way. Even if it means spraining an ankle, like I remember Dirk sprained an ankle really bad. Dirk Kavitsky, mm-hmm. And I thought he was going to be out a month and he missed like one game or maybe even no games. And, you know, AD sprains a foot and he's out for a month. Like everybody's got a different body. Um, but the more you you know, so I, I think from the LeBron point of view, uh, once he got hurt, cause he was fighting, he was already questionable. Then he got hurt even more. I think mm-hmm. he's at this point he's like, all right, it's done. And then, you know a d came back. he came back early. He played great for like ten minutes, five minutes, however long it was until you saw like, oh, he 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 had a euro, I think it was, and it like mm-hmm. he landed in a way that exacerbated the injury. And now it's like he's been limping ever since, and he probably shouldn't be out there playing. And if you say, well, like a d voiced it from like last year, like it's a no win situation. If I don't play in the you know in the if I don't play in the the playoffs against the suns, while hurt, then I didn't you know, I didn't put team first, or that if I play and you see me out there and I'm getting even hurt in a worse way, you're like, why was he out there? He shouldn't have been out there. You know, the, everyone's got an opinion, but I think LeBron wanted to make the playoffs. I think they had in their mind that like if AD was AD and LeBron was LeBron, and with some of these younger athletes and, and you know, with Monk and I think to a degree Reeves, although he wasn't playing the last couple of games. They had some combination that could work in the playoffs, but I think that was always unrealistic because like you need that months of continuity on some level to develop habits and just know where everyone's gonna be defensively, know where everyone's gonna be offensively, know what works. And the Lakers have had I think was it more starting lineups than they have wins? Yeah, like thirty five some or something. At, yeah, some that's some I think it's more I think it's closer to forty or thirty nine. Is it now? Like some like, I don't know, 37 30, I don't know it's up there and you mm-hmm. can blame the coach but like at the same time like I don't think Vogel did a stellar job this year but um if you have players in and out of the lineup all the time and what you're playing is failing well then you're certainly going to change the lineup so I don't I look at that more as a roster construction issue and bad luck of injury which is also related to roster construction because you got a bunch of old guys uh, relatively speaking and or too young guys like none is too young Reeves should it's a you know they're lucky they got as much as they got out of Reeves because he's a undrafted rookie so anyway just some thoughts uh I I, I think LeBron wanted to make the playoffs I just think at this point once he hurt his ankle or foot whatever it's that was that
0: I uh maybe I'll play the first 30 seconds like a cold open for this pod of me and the podcast and like august or whenever the westbrook trade went down where i was like oh this is not a playoff team like the lakers have punted on the playoffs and i remember just being like there's no depth and like you're counting like the lakers are you need 82 out of 80 and lebron like you need with this group now and you need westbrook to like their thought process of like when 80 sits or uh lebron needs time or whatever like westbrook will pick up the slack and then we'll just we'll all make it work because they'll be healthy and they'll be the best case scenario and it's like 80 not being healthy LeBron missing time as LeBron always does it was just it it was just too much to overcome just the injuries and just what we've learned right with just how valuable depth is now in this league it's just 82 games is a grind and this is the first 82 game season in a couple years for these guys and there's just a lot of tread on those tires in Lakerland. where I was like I just I don't see it. They should have been adding more depth to supplement LeBron and AD based on where they're at uh, in their careers and the injuries and things like that. And I just I did not agree with sacrificing more depth, especially youthful depth for an aging Russell Westbrook. And it was just one of those where from the get go, I I didn't see it. Did you expect it to go this poorly? Does it like if if AD does not have the injury problems, is this not an issue all year long? That we're telling a different story with the Lakers. What do you?
1: What do you make of that? Well, I I think success breeds success and failure breeds Mm -hmm. failure. So, had they been healthy, Kendrick Nunn didn't play all year. Uh, Had they had a full roster, the talent alone, plus a very home-heavy schedule, favorable schedule, they needed to pad that schedule. And if they're healthy, I thought on talent alone that they would be able to pad it enough that. You know, they would have built that kind of confidence and that winning behavior, and then you open yourself up for so that, like, when a buyout candidate is available, you're going to get that candidate. When you're mm-hmm. a terrible team, no one's going to go buy out to go join you. They're yeah. like that. The you know, Lakers are the team that DeAndre Jordan took a, you know, not a buyout, but he left to go join a, a contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there's when it happened. I said basically, there they do have depth but they don't necessarily have the same kind of depth that they won with previously. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have to play a very different style. So I, you know, letting go of Crusoe was, you know, dumb. I I didn't, I I warned Laker fans at the time uh, that uh, before it happened, I said, you know, my Intel says that Crusoe's not going to return that, that that he would like to return, but they don't value him enough to, and I don't even think it was the money. It was part money, but it was more just like the way they vision the team didn't match how I visioned how the team should be. Mm -hmm. So I recognize they were doing it in a very different way than I would have built the team, but I'm not perfect and I don't know all and none of us do. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm open-minded. So what's an example though,
0: of something that you would have done differently when you're like
1: the, the main thing is the length, like Mm -hmm. uh, everybody was, well, I use this as an example is like when they won the title, they had only one player in the rotation, who was shorter than 6'5", and that was Rondo, okay? So everybody on the floor, except for if Rondo – let's say Rondo played, you know, whatever, 20 minutes in a game, Mm -hmm. right? You take the 48 minutes times 5, subtract 20. All those minutes were players taller than 6'5", every position across the board. Yeah, maybe Quinn Cook might play a few minutes. Maybe – I mean, THT had a few brief moments. He's 6'4". I think he was six four, six five, but let's say he's six four. Mm-hmm. He barely played. So, uh, like the identity of of a of a Frank Vogel team is long and defensive and athletic, uh, and their main focus is defense. Like the offense, you need strong players like LeBron. You need a point guard like Rondo who's a, who can orchestrate something out of nothing because the offensive system's not going to be overwhelming you know they're just out there playing they're not really running a lot but he's really really good at d- constructing a defense but they gave him the opposite of what he needs everyone ha- it, you could say like oh uh, versatility every coach should be able to be versatile and be able to handle like coach to the roster but mm-hmm. like Mike D'Antoni teams are Mike D'Antoni teams right like you know what he needs you need you need a point guard you need an athletic big who's not a post-up big you need shooters mm-hmm. across the board right right uh, you need athletes and guys who are who can run because that's a run system. And then, I mean, like a Quinn Snyder team is more technical and they have to execute. Uh, we can go by like what a, what every coach's personality is. And it's rare for like a coach to have multiple styles that they're great at. And Vogel mm-hmm. doesn't have that. He's like really good at defense. He can read a team and construct a defense across a series and adjust well. I don't know if he's brilliant adjusting in game, but he the the bubble the bubble defense that when they won was a clinic in how to play defense. Like I, I've mm-hmm. talked to coaches like they learned a ton watching him. And like Jason Kidd in Dallas has said like he basically took everything that he could from Vogel on defense, the system and the concepts and put him in there. And he's a better coach because of it because you know previous stints he was not very successful. Uh, and we all know Jason Kidd should have a great offensive mind. I don't know if he's a great coach or not, but um, he certainly was a great player. So, mm-hmm. uh, but as far as like you know, they just they put together an opposite roster. I I agree with you conceptually. Like I didn't think Buddy Healed was an answer either. Personally, mm-hmm. I felt that was a false choice where the Lakers basically said we're making these changes. We are going to trade these players and let these players go to get Buddy Healed or to get. Uh, Russell Westbrook, and I feel like if you just added Monk, Mellow, mm-hmm. Dwight back, and the exact same team otherwise, and you'd have to figure out something at point guard. But like, you know, like they won the championship with KCP and and Avery Bradley basically right. at the point. You know what I mean? So you do need a Rondo so that you know we see like in the game where the Lakers lost the Pelicans. I was at that game, the one that really eliminated them. Uh, well, I mean, not technically, but really in real life, eliminated mm. them. LeBron was killing it. They were up, and then the Lakers, you know, completely collapsed. And they, the collapse was is that like at that point, the Pelicans basically said, "Okay, we don't care about anyone else. We're going to completely wall off LeBron so he can't drive into the paint." Mm-hmm. So at that point, the Lakers needed to get LeBron off ball, and they didn't have that player to do so. Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the bubble, they had Rondo. So there were times where, like, you can still function. So they they thought none might be that, and maybe he would have been that. And maybe they were, you know, maybe maybe if none is healthy, <clears throat> you have a scoring playmaker. He's, he's closer to a Dennis than he is a Russ. He's not, you know, like a high assist guy. He's certainly not a Chris Paul. He's certainly not a Ricky Rubio. He's not even a Tyus Jones. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if the Lakers had Tyus Jones on this team, shoot. I mean, look at they got production out of DJ Augustine. Like, he was really yeah. helpful. And that's because he's like low maintenance, plays within himself, pl- can set up others. But Rondo was, you know, they had Rondo this year, but Rondo was, you know, goes to the the point of just being older. Yeah. Um, and and maybe if know, it was Alfred Payton period. who gave nothing
0: to Phoenix this year, and he was just kind of a weird
1: pick with them with what they had with Cameron yeah, Payne. Maybe that was somebody uh, like that. I, I would say that like Vogel would know how to play uh, an Alfred Payton, and I would say the mm-hmm. fans would probably hate him. <laughs> like they would be like, just like the fans were all over Avery Bradley, like he plays Avery mm-hmm. too much. If they play, played Alfred, El- El- they probably would have razzed Alfred, El- like, oh, he shouldn't be there, without really recognizing that like the team is probably functioning better because mm-hmm. they have someone who's distributing. Alfred's eh, not a great, great point guard, um, but like you know, at least he's 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 a he doesn't score enough, he doesn't shoot enough, uh, and so I, you know, but Rondo in theory doesn't, but at least Rondo, like, he would go up and do like his his moves in the paint whether they go in or not he would at least put pressure on the basket enough and he he shot really well in the bubble at least in in some series he wasn't perfect in all series but he was important where they needed him to be important so like uh you know fundamentally i thought they created a false choice they went with the the worst of the two choices because it diminished depth i thought that they would be better just on talent alone but my caveat was is that this team can't handle serious injuries that was like yeah when it when i saw the initial injury you know okay westbrook could work i don't like the fit i like the fit with buddy better as far as true mm-hmm. fit but i think they can win more games with russ over buddy if they're healthy yeah because it and that was my broad LeBron. point it's like you're betting on the health and i was like i'm not betting on the lakers health well, well yeah i wasn't betting. i'm saying like i it was it, yeah i wasn't saying oh the lakers are going to be you know the best team in the league i mm-hmm. I, I just thought that they would be better And that at worst, they would be in like the four or five. And Mm -hmm. then, but I also thought that, as I said to start this, like the success would lead to other success. So like you take care of the early schedule early, you build a cushion. So they should have been like one, two, three in the West early. When I saw the schedule, I was like, oh yeah, they're going to (laughs) be fine. They're going to take, they got all these home games. They're playing a lot of cupcake teams. They should end up like easily in first or at worst, like maybe the Suns. So maybe Mm -hmm. second to the Suns. I said wild card the Warriors if they're healthy. Um, Like, at worst, the Lakers were three. Mm -hmm. Like, they'd be better than the Nuggets. They'd be better than the Jazz. They'd be better than Dallas. They'd be better than the Clippers, who I knew didn't have Kawhi. Easily, they're third at worst if they just are healthy. And then, they, you know, they they weren't. They weren't healthy from the jump. Never had none. THT missed time in the beginning. LeBron missed time. AD missed time. LeBron missed time again. THT missed time again. AD missed time again. Everyone, you know... The only guy who didn't really miss time was Russ. And he was like the worst fit. And, and, you know, Russ, uh, it's easy to focus on how he doesn't fit offensively. But really, the eye-opening part watching him day to day to day was that, you know, defensively, his attention to detail is, you know, really low when it comes to defense. On the ball, adequate, off the ball, just kind of standing around, like adjusting Mm -hmm. his pads and standing upright on the strong side with his guy in the corner. Like, mm-hmm. dude, like you're still an active part of the defense. The guy, this, this play defense, the ball's on your side of the court and you're sitting there just in your pads. Like, mm-hmm. It's simple, fundamental things. And I just think he's a brilliant athlete. He's played, had a tremendous career, but I think he's been so much more athletic and better at what he does than so many of the most elite athletes in the world that now that maybe he's 1% less that, 2%, 5%, that he needs to be more diligent at the other aspects of the game. And he's not, and he hasn't evolved to be that. And I think he was really uh, exposed for what he isn't, which, you know, he hasn't been for a few years. I mean, I talked to people in OKC. They were like, yeah, the last couple of years here, we love Russ is what they said. You know, he's, he's, but last couple of years, you know, he was playing like middle school defense for us. So that's not a Vogel thing. That's not a fit thing. That's not a LeBron thing. That's not Russ is upset or whatever. It's just it's something that dates back to OKC. And if you had done adequate scouting, you could say, okay, well, maybe he's not playing defense because the team wasn't good. No, the actually the, the Thunder have been good. Mm-hmm. They they weren't bad and they've only been bad for a, a couple of seasons now. Like they were in the mm-hmm. playoffs. They were when Russ was there, they were still fighting. They had Paul George. They were still like a team. So uh, I thought it was a, you know, pretty significant miscalculation. Primarily because teams have limited resources. And if you use 44 million of those resources on one player who doesn't fit, doesn't play defense, uh, and you, I'd rather have three or four guys making 11 or whatever each, right? Like Caruso, KCP could leave you wanting for offense in their inconsistent shooting. KCP would go a month and would hit every shot he takes. And then the next mm. month would hit no shots. And then the next month would hit all shots. I mean, it was, but, that's okay. Like role players are role players for a reason. And, and if you, if you're, if you're hung up on having super teams and stars, you, you lose focus. I think there's been a push over the last few years for super teams. I think the league is starting to recognize or other, most teams are recognizing a little bit of fatigue, superstar fatigue that it's just like how many superstars are on the box. There's really one. We Mm. could say that like Middleton is an all-star. Sure. And we can say Drew Holiday is an all star at times in his career, sure. But uh, one or two times, but like realistically, there's one superstar on that team. And maybe, maybe we were uh, blinded, or, you know, we saying like the, the teams that were were caught up in the superstar thing were bl- blinded by the consecutive runs of like the LeBron super team and the Warriors super team going at it every year in the finals. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like. W- Kyrie's kind of a superstar, but uh, maybe second-tier superstar. Love is, at that point, was not a superstar. Uh, Steph is a superstar, but like, Steph and KD, flat out, no question, Mm -hmm. two superstars. Clay is a superstar shooter, uh, but if you want to call him a superstar, fine. But like, yeah, fine. Like, that team was an exception. Like, great. Uh It was a wonderful time, except for, you know, non-Warrior fans didn't love it. I'm I'm not a fan. Of, I'm just a fan of like the NBA. I want to see like mm-hmm. you know elite play. So I think people got blinded by that. And
0: I have the like, Kyrie like, shot over. It's yeah. to the left. I I could pull it out, but yeah, I got the Kyrie shot over <laughs> stuff right here. Actually framed. It's one it, of my favorite shots. It's ever. Like,
1: a, I mean, it's a great moment. You know, mm-hmm. like superstars. You you. It's really. It's rare to win a championship without one. Mm-hmm. like you look at like the pistons when they beat the lakers in 04 you look at the raptors is Kawhi a superstar i don't know if he it, it maybe he is um and so they they did have a superstar that year it, most times it's like the Stephs and the lebrons and the kobe's and the shacks and the duncans and the uh i don't know whoever i left out i apologize like you know you, you go back further it's like magic and michael and uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas at the time, you know, he, I think history hasn't been kind enough to him. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. J, you know, I don't know. The list goes on. It was like the, the only time that like you didn't need superstars in the NBA like ever was the mm-hmm. 70s. Like the 70s was like the one decade where it was less of a superstar league. And it was just a bunch of teams that had, you know, it didn't have that that one player. So I get why teams are like, fixated it's like well why have one superstar when you can have two why have mm-hmm. two when you can have three well the answer is depth and mm-hmm. if you if you want to assume that everybody's healthy for 82 games you're you're living a dream it's just not the reality
0: especially with the 82 games not going away and just uh, the seasons are long man and the depth like look at the grizzlies like you, you brought up tyus jones but like the tyus jones aspect to john Morant is critical and just depth is the new market inefficiency in a lot of ways uh to get through these slogs and i think teams have sure. to realize that like oh man we need we need a lot of bodies it can't just be two guys carrying the load anymore um the clippers Absolutely. i mean imagine the clippers without the depth that they've had to surround uh, paul george and Kawhi with because their margin for error was so thin because like they gave up so much for paul george and they were still able to get enough depth and they have great coaching from yeah. Kai Lu, but like Man, if you watch those Clippers games, you're like, how are the Clippers a playoff team? Like Reggie Jackson's usage rate. And you watch these games and you're like, they're living and dying by Reggie Jackson. Like whatever yeah. he's putting out offensively is like carrying them because the defense is top notch and that will keep them in the game. But like so much being on Luke Kennard and <laughs> Reggie Jackson and um, like Nick Batum and what his shots looking like that night is pretty wild. But that's how the Clippers have survived.
1: Yeah. Well, What's interesting is they're both they both kind of emerged at the same time. Yeah. Like the eighty thing happened the same time that Kawhi and Paul George joined together. So mm-hmm. you have two teams following a similar model. Now, Laker fans will listen to this and say, "Who of the two teams has a, a ring?" And mm. the answer is the Lakers. So I'm not I'm not sitting here saying, "Oh, the Clippers are geniuses and the Lakers are idiots." It's just not. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how the team is built, and I wrote an article recently on Bleacher Report, came out around the end of March, um, which is kind of a deep dive into you know, I I don't write the headlines, but I think they wrote something like how the Lakers went from champs to chumps or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it it breaks down in detail the bigger picture things, but also some of the moves, like including a long a series of transactions that just deprecated their 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 treasure chest of of wealth when it comes to assets, when it comes to players, like Zubots. To the Clippers for Mike Muscala, who you didn't keep, uh, a first round pick for and Danny Green and a first round pick for Dennis Schroder, who you didn't keep, uh trading a second to get Marcus All, and then trading a second to get rid of Marcus All in the same season. It, it's like where it, I it you can go on and on. It, there was a, a over time They continue to to just let their assets dry up and mm-hmm. really just punted them out the door. Things like waving Thomas Bryant, who ended up starting for the wizards. It's like, you don't have to wave him; You could trade him. Letting Julius Randall mm-hmm. go. Like they got LeBron. They could have LeBron and Julius. Now Julius didn't have a good year, but he had a great year last year. Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't fit with LeBron. Okay. Find a way to get value back. I didn't even put in my article like Brooke Lopez, like they let Brooke Lopez walk and he ended up going on to be a valuable part of a championship team and they haven't had as good a center you know the year that they had JaVale and and uh, dwight was very solid but like you know so uh but when you look at the clippers like they did do the same thing they paid out a crap ton of assets just like the lakers did mm-hmm. to get that player and like oh you know, they're so poor and you know they they have no picks they yeah but when they got kennard who's like you said is basically carrying their offense right now along with reggie uh, with his outside shot, they got, I think, four seconds, three or four seconds. I think it was four in the deal where they get Kennard and seconds. You look at all the little moves they're making. They're adding little things and then they're waiting for an opportunity. So, you know, my a- analysis of the Clippers leading into the deadline was mm-hmm. and I, this on radio and on podcasts and, and in writing was that the Clippers are being opportunistic. Like they're fine if they don't make a deal. They're not going to make a win now deal, uh, move where they give up anything of value that they really value. Uh, but what they are going to do is wait. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and they're going to wait for another team to be the desperate one. The, another team mm-hmm. to mess up. And that's what they do every year. They sit there with in their situation waiting for another team. They have the assets that they have ready at, at their disposal. And they get Norm Powell, who's a very solid scorer. I know he's been hurt right now. I think you know, they gave up basically nothing to get Norm Powell. Now they have to pay Norm Powell for several years at about $17-ish million a year, which is a reasonable number for what he does um a professional score the guy can get you 20 points easy right like 20 points no problem you need 20 points Mm -hmm. done uh and he's been he's got a ring you know so he's got the experience of knowing what that means so that's how the clippers have operated they are really smart in their use of their little details so that they grow like there's always an opportunity because they are so well suited and they have a big, big staff, one of the biggest staffs in the NBA. And they have a lot of preparation so that they know like, okay, this is what this team is considering. This is where they might be going. Mm -hmm. And this is where this team, so you know where all the other teams are. Every team tries to project that to an extent, but they have more staff to do it. So they have more minds working on it. So if, you know, the Lakers who have a small front office have one or two people trying to go through all that. Well, you know, there's, there's only so much one or two people can do compared mm-hmm. to 10 people doing it. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying that you want a committee, but the Lakers are, uh, are they're a small group. The Clippers have a, a bigger group, but it's well-organized. It's a pecking order. It's not like everybody's arguing and, and they are paralyzed with no decisions. Like Lawrence Frank is on top. Their GM answers to Lawrence Frank. Mm-hmm. Right, he and then Jerry West is is in the ear of the owner and works with Lawrence Frank and helps decipher like what's the right move. Mm-hmm. But they have an owner who's willing to spend almost willy nilly, and and he's wealthier than than the Bus family. That's not a criticism of the Bus family, uh, but uh, the Lakers are spending. People are saying, "Oh, the Lakers were cheap. They didn't pay Caruso." Well, yeah, they they should have paid Caruso, but like they're also a very high payroll. They are paying a lot. They're deep into the luxury tax. It's not cheap. It's just they went in the wrong. They, you're not cheap when you go get one of the most expensive players in the entire NBA. That's not cheap. It was ill-advised, but it's not cheap. Getting Westbrook right. was not cheap, flat out. it was. You could say it was dumb, if you believe that, but it wasn't cheap. Um, so I'm not saying that the Lakers don't have the resources that the Clippers do, but definitely have an owner who's shown, like, forget about all the, the money constraints. Let's just put all that money into the staff. We'll build out a, a, a functional front office of depth. Just like we're talking about superstars, if Rob plink mm-hmm. is the Lakers superstar, right? Then where's the depth? If if you think he's a superstar, which I don't know if Laker fans are going to say that right now. Whereas uh, in, in in the Clippers, who's is, is it? Lawrence Frank? Is it Michael Winger? Like uh, they, they've got. A, a wealth of people who are really smart and I I'm around them because I cover Clipper games and mm-hmm. you know, it's a very collaborative, positive environment. You don't see a lot of negativity. You don't see a lot of backbiting and infighting. I don't see a lot of that with the Lakers either because there's just not a lot of, is smaller staff. There's hmm. no, there's no one to fight with, right? There's, if you have Rob and you have, he's got, um, he's got a cap guy. He's got like, you know, uh, I know he's got an assistant, uh, obviously, uh, well, he's got an assistant GM, um, and a scouting department, but I, there's not like a five, four, six, ten 10 people that he, you know. right. Anyway, that's just some of my thoughts. I just think that the Clippers are the polar opposite, the Laker than the Lakers in that they've been diligent with their assets and they're a better team right now, despite theoretically having less talent on the floor available to them, you know, and, but a Laker fan will say that they're not even 500 before Paul George came back. They had like one of the worst offenses in the league all true they don't have a ring Lakers have a ring and i don't want to say the clippers are better it's not right now yeah they're better right now in this window they're not a better franchise they're not a worse franchise i'm not here to try to equivocate and say who's better or who's worse i'm just saying the way that the clippers have run the last few years is more diligent than how the lakers have run and the rosters reflect that because the the lakers have all their money invested in in very small few assets or few stars trying to
0: have well, it's also stars. just going to be more difficult for them to finagle out themselves like this was leads into like my other thing was just that like how do they get out of this financial mess because the clippers yeah. have ways to get around all of this they have avenues to continue bolstering this team around Kawhi and paul george and doing things to supplement paul george and Kawhi. and even if it, there is no Kawhi, they can find loopholes with this roster to bolster like the lakers when you look at the cap and you look at their situation you look at what's available this summer what are their options? Because Westbrook, right. already mentioned that he's that plan, what he's planning on coming back with him, LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like, what is what is what are the choices Rob Palenka has that right. are realistic?
1: So, so I have a new article I just that just mm-hmm. came out today that doesn't necessarily deep dive into every aspect, but it's kind of like the overarching questions of like. Where do the where it's entitled? Where did LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers go from here? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find that on Bleacher Report, and I talk about like are there going to be changes at the top in like leadership? Is there going to be a coaching change, which I think we all expect? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the real question before anything else is LeBron is eligible for an extension in early August, and mm-hmm. if he's going to extend and if they want to extend him, then they need that information locked in even if they can't make it official till August, but locked in in June, ahead of June, or with enough time that they can go into the draft, even though they don't have picks, the draft is uh, one of the busiest trade days of the year. It actually rivals and actually exceeds the trade deadline. There are more trades on draft day than on the trade deadline. So they need to know their future before they make any moves. And either LeBron is going to leave after one more year, and they're going to go in a different direction, or he's going to extend. Now, we could debate the wood could, should, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not the question. It's It's a binary. It's either going to happen or it's not. And so if he decides to stay, and if they want him to stay, and he extends, now you get into the how do you make LeBron a contender through age 39 or close to 40, right? And then it gets a little trickier. So I talk a little bit in the article about I mean, for one, you you have to have Anthony Davis healthy. Like he, he has to find, you know, maybe he just has a body. I mentioned Brandon Roy was like an elite. Obviously, AD's already had twice the career length uh, of Brandon Roy. But Brandon Roy came in, was like amazing right off the bat. And after like four or five years, was basically done because of injury. And mm-hmm. some bodies are just not meant to play in the NBA. And it seems like AD could be one of those guys who never, maybe that peak in the bubble was it. And he's never the same. And that would be unfortunate, not for the Lakers, but just for the league because he's a special player. And uh, that's the one thing I root for more than anything else is just health across the board. So we can see these elite athletes be the best that they can be. So, uh, Hmm. you know, trading AD doesn't make a lot of sense right now. His value is low. You're not going to get anything uh, that you would – comparable to what you gave up because they got like, you know, an elite big, you know, tweener big you know four or five in his prime uh to play with lebron whereas who's going to give up what to play you know a guy who's basically playing like 50 games a year if that and so Mm -hmm. his value right now is at a low generally speaking you try to sell high buy low so trading ad right now doesn't make a lot of sense Uh, i think everything assuming lebron extends is built around like what you're going to do with westbrook and assuming he opts in at 47 million he shouldn't opt out i can't imagine a path where he opts out uh if they they could buy him out in theory uh which would be like getting a discount anywhere from zero to 10 million dollars let's say he can Mm -hmm. get 10 million from somewhere else i don't know if he can but let's say he could then if you could chop that number down to 37 you could potentially stretch that over three years it could enable the lakers to keep malik monk have mm-hmm. the biennial exception, which is more than the minimum, not a lot, but a little bit more to get another player. They could be marginally better, maybe addition by subtraction if you believe that to be the case with Russ and then just do a better job of of the minimum players of getting guys who are athletic and long. Go go with more of the Wenyan Gabriels and Stanley Johnsons. And less is that of what the, LeBron would want though? Is that a direction that you could get LeBron to sign on for? I mean, Le- LeBron, you know, Rich Paul didn't agree with me, but... Um, mm-hmm from what i understand lebron and clutch wanted the lakers to trade russ at the deadline they wanted him mm-hmm. gone and believed in the concept of addition by subtraction so i yeah. think they're they're into that i don't think i think the slump that westbrook had after the uh, after the trade deadline coincided with knowing like dude lebron just tried to trade me well, you know f this you know i don't mm-hmm. i don't give a f about this and i think at some point because as people, we tend to only hold on to things for so long before we sort of stabilize and get back to just being who we are. At some point Russ went back to being Russ, but you know, which mm-hmm. is good good and the bad. But for about three or four weeks he was got awful, you know, like shot like nine percent from three. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, that coincided with oh, like the, the guy who recruited him to come to LA trying to trade him. So, you know, look, Rich Paul hearing this would probably say I'm wrong.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: I I'm gonna stand by my sources, um, you know, on it. So uh you you could buy him out and not stretch him and just say, okay, this year is just another waste of LeBron's time and mm. hopefully the year after. Well, what does the year after look like? Because if you're paying LeBron the max and if you're paying AD the max, even with the cap going up as much as it is, maybe you can get to 15. If you trade, if you trade THT, maybe you can get to 20-something million in cap room. You're not getting to a max. Are you going to use it on a couple of players? I don't know if there's a real path to cap room that is like oh you're bringing in some other third guy and we kind of established less the third guy and more about depth at this point Mm -hmm. so um you could stretch him and if you stretch him if they're going to be if they're not going to have cap room of note in 2023 then stretching rust doesn't really hurt you it it hurts the team in the sense that maybe it, it could lead to a bigger tax bill Like that's the extent of it. Like, yeah, it's just money. It doesn't like the the fans have. I've talked to fans about like on Twitter and in person, and like my brother, and like they don't like they they don't understand like oh you you just got out of Deng. Last thing you want to do is stretch Russ. Like Mm -hmm. there's like a psychological barrier. Don't Mm -hmm. stretch him. You can't have that dead money on the books. Well, what if it doesn't in any way or in a very small way impact what they can do in their flexibility? Like, did Mm -hmm. Deng stop them from? Winning a title and putting this team together, yeah. I don't know, there's like a human psychological thing about a guy I not working, about that. yeah. Like, Deng is just coming off now. You don't want to have 14, 12, <laughs> 13 million dollars a year for the next three years. Well, it actually saves you the Lakers, you know, when we're talking about Lakers, saves you as a franchise or as fans. Uh, there's no luxury tax for the Lakers this next year if they stretch r- Russ, they can pay uh-huh. about eleven, ten, eleven million 11 million dollars to keep Malik Monk. Or a replacement for, for Malik if 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 that's appropriate. You know, either keep them or don't. Mm. Uh, and then there's trade. And you know, the challenge with trade, you know, I came up with a trade that an article about a month ago that like was just sort of playing out like you know, the Thunder have some cap room in June. They won't have cap room in July, but they have enough to take on Russ if they trade out Muscala and uh Favors. Uh and if the Lakers traded like two firsts to get out of Russ and got back Muscala in favors, because that's what it would take for the thunder to do it. They're not going to do it for just one first. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what they would do specifically, but from what I understand, like they have enough cap room to do two or three deals where they take on bad contracts and get firsts. So if they think they can get two firsts by taking like a $20 million player and a $10 million player or two fifteens or two 20s, you know, like they can get two first. So if they're going to do Russ in one, why would they do that for one first? So they would want two first. So that doesn't help the Lakers in the sense that uh, I don't think Muscala, Muscala can stretch the floor a little bit, but, uh, you know, Favors is, Pardon me. Favors mm-hmm. is definitely, you know, low impact at this point in his career. So I don't think that solves the problem, but I was sort of messing around. Well, like, uh, you could in theory, you know, well, uh, what would the Lakers want back? Maybe the Pacers want to get out of players like Malcolm Brogdon, who has a, Jeez, pardon me. I must be in a dusty room. Uh, maybe they want to get out of, yeah, uh, I actually out of
0: is there an allergy problem in Los Angeles? I don't even know. What's yeah,
1: yeah. Uh we get flowers and stuff around March and April. Mm-hmm. I usually yeah, I, I I ran out of Zyrtec. I take that all the time. There you uh, go. Uh Uh but what I was saying is um uh we were talking about uh before I sneezed. I'm sorry. So I just times, got off on it. The, it was the, it, yeah. no, it was it was the sneeze, it was the sneeze that did it. But mm-hmm. let's let's say that the Pacers are recognizing like we've got really nice young guards in Duarte and Halliburton. Uh, we don't need Brogdon at nearly 30 hurt all the time, mm-hmm. expensive for multiple years. Maybe buddy has been productive, but at his price, we can, you know, maybe they would like to get out of those contracts and would be willing to like, it, just to be out of that money would help them, but they don't want to pay 47 to Russ. Mm-hmm. So if you could get those contracts off their books and do like a three-way thing where, uh, you know, it's the thunder who are getting Russ. And then I'm <laughs> like, well, uh, you know, how, how does that all work? I, I sort of came up with something where, you know, they might move out of Turner. He's going into the last year of his deal. I don't mm-hmm. think they extend to keep him. Uh, and Charlotte may have some interest. Uh, there'd been, I'd heard some, in, some buzz that Gordon Hayward was open like the to the pun. Idea of, yeah. Uh, Going back to uh, Indiana, obviously he played for Butler. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's some real intel, but it's not an actual like in-process conversation in the actual NBA. I, mm-hmm. I tied together a lot of ideas into like this trade where it's like Miles Turner to the Hornets, Gordon Hayward to uh, the Pacers, Mason Plumlee somewhere could be the Pacers, could be you know anywhere. Derek Favors to the Lakers probably because he's like the least appealing contract of 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 them all but at the same time you can go somewhere else muscala somewhere i have it written you know one way but it could be really you can get pj washington in theory to the thunder Hmm. um i came up with like i there's enough fertile ground and cap flexibility so like i'm i'm creative in what i do but i don't work for a team directly i do consult a little bit here and there with some teams i consult more with agents but i do consult with some teams and help them a little bit But you know, Lakers aren't paying me to do this, and so I Mm -hmm. I can't assume that they're going to make my made-up trade. But it's the kind of idea of like, yes, there's a path out there where there's a Westbrook trade, but how much are the Lakers willing up to give, willing to give up, Mm -hmm. and is there a way? There's very few teams that would be willing to take on Russ's money, and I do think the Thunder, leading up to the draft, are the one that would absolutely take him, in my opinion, anyway but would need real compensation beyond just, you're not going to pay 40. You, they've got more picks than anyone has, right? They're not going to pay $44 million or $47 million to, uh, to to take on Westbrook just for a first. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I don't know the exact answer, but I do know that they are in a difficult spot because they don't have a lot of assets. They've got yep. to find a way out of Russ. They may not be able to keep Malik Monk, who's been one of the bright spots. And you still have LeBron getting older and AD, the same kind of issue. Like, if he's not healthy, it doesn't matter if you do make a good move. If you get Brogdon and Buddy, who are both around 30, and they're a lot of money, if if AD's not healthy, you say, well, trade AD then. Well, I mean, first of all, LeBron is well, extending. Then you trade LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, LeBron would be extending to stay with AD. And yeah. then. Teams know that AD's hurt all the time right now. His value is low, so you're not going to get the kind of value. You don't want to buy something and give up a ton to get it, and then sell it for very little. And so they're in a difficult spot. I've been talking, writing about it for the last few months. I'm, I'll be glad to move into uh, either applauding or criticizing their ne- next series of moves. I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I've had enough. You just of this want them to season. do something.
0: Yeah, you're just ready to see what's I'm next. I'm looking
1: forward to a new set of problems. Uh, but you know, going into the season, like if they were really, really good, then I would have had a lot less to write. And yeah. being that they're the primary team I cover, uh, I cover the NBA at large, but Bleacher has a huge appetite. And the, the fan base has a huge... You know, I've been writing Lakers for most of my career. So yeah, it, it would have been less to write. So I'm grateful for the year they gave me. I had a lot to do. <laughs> Um the games themselves got kind of a little uh, there was some stretches of really not great basketball so yeah wasn't the most enjoyable but you know I'm I'm flexible I'm I'm not I I I I enjoy I enjoy the process you know I, I I like what Philadelphia did back in the day like I don't mind the process as long as it's going somewhere I don't mind the process um it's it's interesting you didn't mention John Wall with any of this
0: so John yeah. Wall I uh like I will just mention like at the top here like John Wall um I don't know who he has to thank like he owes a lot of people a- just all kinds of goodies around the league for distracting folks like Ben Simmons doing the lord's work for him uh Westbrook in LA doing the lord's work for him where he's just gone he just <laughs> he just wasn't there he just was gone this entire year he didn't help uh in houston where it was like houston would have been bad even if john Wall's playing 12 to 20 minutes a night or just do it running the second unit or just uh staying in shape but he's just gone and then we had that little blip in there where it's like are we gonna get wall for westbrook and obviously that didn't happen but it looked like it almost might have happened at the deadline or whatever <laughs> but he's just got like he's just disappeared like john wall went a wall this year and everyone just was like, all right, John Wall's just taking the year off in Houston, and Houston's cool with it. Wall is cool with it. I, I'm i still amazed that this was just something that we just all collectively moved on from, because he's on a bad team, and we all just like John Wall. So it's like, hey, it's fine. We don't like Ben Simmons, and this is messed up, and we don't like this. And we're rooting against him, winning the defamation, or the um, what is it? The, the, the arbitration. million d- arbitration, but it, there was another word for it. I forgot what it was. Um, But yeah, so we don't have any of that with the John Wall thing. What did, what did you make up all of that?
1: Well, I mean, there's, you know, uh, from the Lakers side of, we'll just get that out of the way. Um, Mm -hmm. like doing like a swap made, might've made sense for like clutch sports because he's on clutch and he's sort of like basketball hell where they're not playing (laughs) him. And so, you know, he has a chance to play. And if he could come in and fix what was broken with the fit, uh, then that would have, you know, been great for them, great for John Wall's career. Uh, but the Lakers weren't giving up the first. That the 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 Thunder wanted, no, not Thunder, the Rockets wanted a first. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was some potential of like trading THT to another team to get a first. So it might not have had to have been a Lakers first because the Lakers first they weren't going to do that. They weren't interested mm-hmm. in doing. So maybe trading THT to get a first for. There was some talk of swaps. There were some expensive to the Lakers combinations that include getting Christian wood Mm -hmm. um, to the Lakers, but they, you know, like, Oh, it's like, Oh, they turned away Christian wood. Like if you actually look at like what they would have had to do to get Christian wood, it was like ugly for the Lakers and it wasn't worth it. Mm. Um, Maybe it would have been worth, maybe he could have filled in and been AD when AD was out and maybe they should have done that. I don't know. Um, We could argue that, but ultimately they had decided ahead of time. So it never came close. Uh, Never really was close, but it was discussed. I think it's dead because I don't think at this point, like, they're not going to give up. Like, if they don't trade for John Wall, then the and they get out of Westbrook, maybe cut Westbrook Mm -hmm. or trade Westbrook, what are the Rockets going to do? They're probably just going to cut John Wall, and then the Lakers can sign him for the minimum if he wants to come, assuming Mm -hmm. he wants to come. So, uh, from the Rockets' point of view, uh, you know, they were trying to be a contender. They were a contender not too long ago with Chris and and James. Then, you know, Chris wanted out, didn't work out. They got Russ, gave it a shot, uh, and then sort of doubled down on their Mike D'Antoni style, but got rid of Capella, who was hurt at the time. And so it kind of made sense because, like, from the point of view of, like, if it was a healthy Capella, that was a terrible trade, and they should never have done that. If Capella wasn't going to play the rest of the year for the most part, and they were going to blow it up anyway. Then sure, like that's fine. I don't mind the Capella trade as much as like on paper it doesn't make sense, but like I get it. So they, you know, it was like PJ Tucker against the Lakers and their size, and was it never going to work? Uh, so they blew it up. Well, they didn't even blow it up initially. They tried to bring it back with James and and John Wall, and then James basically like flew the coop and said, "I'm out of here." Yeah. Uh, right. And so they traded him. So at that, that point, yeah, so he's done it. Since then, he's done it. This is like the not the most recent time he did that mm-hmm. is the time before. Yeah. So I think ultimately, yeah, and ultimately they just um they're they're committed to the youth movement, wisely mm-hmm. so. They're doing what's right for their organization, and it's it's one of those things where like Ben Simmons didn't show up, and everyone hated on him, like you said. But then John Wall did show up, and they were basically saying you can't play. Yeah. It's a double standard, certainly. Uh, But, you know, it's you know, teams have the power of minutes, and they don't have to pay the players, but they do have to pay the players. They don't have to pay them, but they have to pay them. So if you get paid, I mean, look, I'm not going to cry for John Wall, who's making almost more money than anyone else in the entire league. He's basically equivalent to Westbrook. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he makes a tiny bit more, I think, maybe like a hair next year, but basically right around Westbrook's number. Mm Mm-hmm you know it's like whatever uh i can't cry for him it sucks that he's in the situation it's not fair he's being paid to do this so well that he'll he's going to live a a great life and i know that money isn't everything so i don't want to diminish that you know his his the human side of it it's kind of you know terrible to be in a situation where you can't do what you do but um that's where we are so uh I don't know if there's a, anyone just like Russ. Like the the Rockets aren't going to pay to get rid of Russ. The Lakers mm-hmm. might, but the Rockets shouldn't because they're still rebuilding. And I thought they did a really interesting and nice job. Like Shan-Shan-gun is really interesting. I like Jalen Green. You could point at like uh, the first half of his rookie season and say, "Oh, they sh- they reached on the guy." Then you look at like the second half and you're like, "Yeah, oh yeah." It takes a while for kids to learn how to play in the NBA against grown yeah. men. And he's he he's shown some like the analytical number. Like someone asked me to do a report on on Jalen Green and the numbers were terrible. And then if you looked at like a month's worth and it was like, OK, now he's an NBA player. But the first four months of the season, he, he was like not an NBA player analytically as far as like he was terrible. It reminds me of the
0: Luca Trey thing a little bit where Luca was just right out the gate and Trey had the terrible summer league. And people were overreacting to kind of Trey and like, look, Trey will never be as good as Luke. So that's never going to happen. That that ship has sailed um, as a Hawks guy. Like I still very much love Trey young and he's still the second best player in the draft. And that's still a win for, for them in that way. But it's like Jalen green is being looked at because Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes and Cade have all just been absolute home runs for their team too. That it's like, Oh, did the Rockets. It's like, well, no, 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 no. One thing to be true. Like he might not be that, but he's still going to be a really good player. So it, trust me, like their majority of lottery picks don't go this way. So Jalen green sure. still has shown enough where it's not 100%. going to
1: bad way. It was, a, it was a great draft and Jalen mm-hmm. green could still end up being the best player in the draft. I don't know that he will be, huh. I think, Evan, I think Evan Mobley being that, you know, si, mobile size is so valuable in this league. Mm-hmm. And we forget that, you know, I think it's, I think we forgot about it for a few years, especially in the warriors run. Mm. Uh, but like you know, Jokic Embiid, uh Giannis to an extent, like size matters and uh Evan Mobley as a defender is was I could sell right away out of USC like I didn't know that it would translate so quickly, but like he has the potential to be like Chris Bosch defensively, who was pretty elite, or mm-hmm. like even some Lamar Odom, um, or um I'm forgetting even kg to an extent obviously different hmm. but like you know, rasheed Wallace like guys who are are big mobile can fight against guards are intimidating and and uh and are willing to put in that kind of effort and then he was better offensively than I expected too so that was like but Jalen Green's like you know I don't know if he'll ever be like Kobe was never the most efficient player like hmm. if we're gonna live or die by efficiency then Jalen Green was not the right pick Right. But that's, I don't believe, and and I know that some people find this sacrilegious, like, yes, you want to be efficient. You Mm -hmm. want to win the most efficient way possible. But you also want to win above being efficient. So there's an element where uh, fundamental inefficiencies can be beneficial. If it's the better player, you're patient enough, and you get them to the right situation, and you build around, like, Allen Iverson was like that year, and that he took the Sixers to the finals was oh, not one, the most yeah. efficient. But that was one of the most fun I've I've ever had watching a, a season. And that team was, in a lot of ways, really ugly. Like those Sixers yeah. team. That team was basically no one like, was dying to watch Aaron McKee and Bay right. and yeah. It, I mean, it was, it was an ugly they group. Had a bunch <laughs> of fa- like Austin Crozier was maybe their second best yeah. offensive player. I mean, as far as score, like technically McKee was solid and Snow. Like mm. there were things that they could do. But it was just like a bunch of defenders get out of the way, let Allen Iverson just you know, do everything that that he could yeah. to in his hundred and sixty, hundred and fifty five, hundred and sixty five pound body uh, against Shaq and Kobe and all those guys. So like efficiency is is really valuable in a lot of ways, but sometimes you have to take a bad shot and hit a bad shot, and you you have to take a lot of bad shots sometimes to you can say well don't take that many bad shots take better shots it's kind of the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert battle that's going on in Utah that there is no clear answer on and i know that like the analytics people i talk to are all on the Gobert train hmm. but i also know like i've been around the lakers and like they salivate at the matchup against gobert like they love huh. playing against gobert like they feel like a play, it, when, when things were better for the lakers this year like they would have loved to have a Utah Jazz first round matchup for them. That's like a perfect, like easy series where they can get their their playoff like rhythm down. Where it's like they're they're going to be pushed a little bit because Donovan Mitchell, um you know, can score and they have a lot of really like great shooters on that team. Uh But at the same time, it was like a, a series they knew they would win, and, and they may be delirious, but they did beat them. They almost they they almost what swept them this year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they beat them like Stanley Johnson. Was the reason why they won one of those games? It was like still on his ten day, you know (laughs) what I mean? So, um, but Gobert is legit, and I don't want to denigrate him. I'm just saying, like there are different point of views on what what is you know. There's more than one way to win a basketball game and Mm. to have a championship team. And I think Jalen Green was a great pick, and then they also got other picks, you know, guys like Josh Christopher and some other players who still you know need the opportunity. And that goes back to original point of like none of that was going to happen. Those development. Developmental minutes. If you're giving 30 minutes a game to John Wall, I mean, and he's handling the rock and making all the decisions, like they put Jalen Green in a lot of uncomfortable positions as a as a rookie. He had to do a lot of things that were new to him, that were uncomfortable, things that he's not good at. But I mean, I think that's probably how you learn. You know, that's how I understand learning to work. You know, I mean, like some people, you have to be delicate with a rookie because if you give them too much they it can break their confidence and you want to be careful um, that you don't destroy a rookie and we've seen some coaches who are less sensitive give a rookie too much and then bench him because they failed and that's not what I'm mm. talking about. It's like, you know, you, you want to give them the best chance to succeed, but you also want to push them into non comfort zone places so that they can so that they can learn how to yeah. Go run the pick and roll you know, or guard the pick and roll or play the, you know, you're the ball handler in the pick and roll. Now, these are the reads. We're going to let you fail until you start to make good reads. And if you don't make good reads this year, we'll keep working on it. And now maybe over the course of your career, you'll be a better ball handling uh, creator for others, which then makes it easier for you to get yours because he's a scorer through and through, but he may be better long-term because he was inefficient and terrible in certain aspects of the pick and roll. Than, then you would normally want a player to be and that's just allowing a player to fail in a good way which i think is how you learn so in theory there you go uh when you look at the books for teams
0: around the league uh heading into the summer whose books are you most fascinated by right now and what they do with it
1: well it's been you know okc for a while mm-hmm. the thunder they have the most flexibility through and through uh, do they do
0: anything with it though this year
1: yeah well i do think that so they won't have cap room in july mm-hmm. now they can if favors opts out which he won't mm-hmm. if they decide to trade they could pay. they could that's the thing this is why they're fascinating they want to do anything they could do it like if, if they want to go after stars they could see here's like 12 draft picks <laughs> first round mm-hmm. picks like we could see a trade that we've never seen before i don't yeah. think that's going to happen but like they could if they wanted to so like if they wanted to get out of favor they have three firsts in this draft if they were like, here, here's the clippers first take favors for 10 million, would a team take or 1110 yeah, he's like a little over 10. would, would a, a team take would a team pay 10 million functionally to get a first round pick? Maybe mm-hmm. it wouldn't be the um, they have, I think they have um, I don't know if it might be Phoenix. They, ha, they have a very low one. Um, I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I'm going to say it's Phoenix. So mm-hmm. let's say it's a 30th pick. I don't think a team's going to pay 11 million for the 30th pick or 10 million for mm-hmm. the 30th pick. But for the Clippers pick, you know that's not it's that's not a bad pick. It's it, let's say you're looking at a mock your your team has has a draft board, and you're at about like twenty, and you're like, yeah, I see twenty players I would want. Let's go get the Clippers pick who are above twenty, and let's go get this player. He's worth our, um, you know, ten million dollars. And maybe maybe you get a, a few seconds from the Thunder, like you you know what I mean, like a first and a mm-hmm. few seconds. Take favors and you give them a nothing something to just make the deal happen. So they have that flexibility. Like They could go after Aiden. They could go after players if they wanted to get to that real kind of money. Uh, they can't really go after like second-tier max guys like uh, middle-tier, like uh, the Zach Levines. And, uh, well, I mean, in theory, they could. But they have Shea, and they have Kemba's dead money, so there, there's a certain amount of money. Uh, right now, Shea is, is a rookie scale. He's a low contract. On July 1st, suddenly, he's an extended player and goes from, like, I don't know, let, let's say he's going from uh, below 10 to above right around 30 in that range. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not uh, off the top of my head. So uh, the, the Thunder, I think, are going to look one last time to cash out and do what they've been doing, which is the Philly type, we'll take your junk for picks kind of move. And I think this is really their last chance to do to do that. They've been doing it with both cap room, but really from trade exceptions. And Mm. like they had big trade exceptions because they traded big contracts, but they don't really like Danilo Gallinari was one of them. They don't really have any big contracts left to generate new trade exceptions. So I think this is their last chance to do what they've been doing. So I, that's why I bring up the Lakers and say like, if the thunder are going to help somebody and they, in my Mm. opinion, they are, it might be two, three, somebody's, And if the Lakers decide like they have to get out of Westbrook and LeBron extends, and this is the only way then I'm, I'm, figuring out multi-team trades with the Thunder, which is like that four-team trade that I came up with. Um, as far as, you know, like other teams, what, what the, um, you know, I wrote on the Blazers. I, I, I work for Sports Business Classroom, and I wrote on, on, uh, on the website there a quick analysis of of the Blazers as sort of a teaching tool to say, like, they could have, like, a significant amount of cap space, but they're probably better off staying over the cap. And so one, hmm. those teams that have that kind of flexibility to me are very interesting because they have a roughly $20 million trade exception for CJ McCollum. They obviously want to pay uh, you would think uh, Anthony Simons and then keeping Josh Hart. Like if they want real cap room, like letting go of Josh Hart, who's not guaranteed, like he's was really good for them. He's a good player. Why would you get rid of him? Like they can keep Ingles uh, who is hurt but maybe is healthy enough, they can keep Nurkic, they can keep Hart, they can keep Simons, and still have a $20 million trade exception and their mid-level exception, which is about in the neighborhood of 10, to add to this group. And they're not like a full-on rebuild because they have Dane coming back. So if you could use that $20 million exception to get like a Jeremy Grant, not saying they should or would, but, like, that's a theoretical fit. They haven't had a good... Other than Covington, they haven't had a... Covington's not as big as you might think, and, like, Grant is closer to 6'9", 6'8", 6'9". So, like, that would might be the defensive wing who also they can rely on for heavy scoring, uh, which is a player, more of the player he's become since Denver, to kind of offset uh, Dame, Who and then you have Simons. You have two scoring guards, and you have a, a wing. Maybe they're better off being over the cap. So those you know, those are the kind of team teams that intrigue me it's not like oh what's my favorite team or who's going to do what it's you know what are the interesting teams as far as their salary cap flexibility you know there's a few teams like the thunder uh the like who can kind of be under the magic will be under uh the grizzlies are an interesting one there they can technically get up to 21 million maybe in cap room maybe more if they trade away some of their first they can even get up to maybe 23 in cap room but They have such good depth and chemistry. Like, you got to keep Tyus Jones if I'm the Grizzlies. Like, in my opinion, I don't think there's a. Like, if you go after Jalen Brunson for more money than what you would pay Tyus Jones, you're just getting a lesser fit, in my opinion. So, is is there
0: not going to be a team that chases Tyus Jones for a bigger role? But no one
1: has money this year except for four or five teams.
0: Who are the four and five? Basically, who are um, the four and five?
1: it's the Blazers, but probably not. Mm-hmm. It's the Magic, who are mm-hmm. not necessarily a win now situation. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I mean, it should be uh, Detroit Pistons, who yeah. again also not a win now situation. I do think they yeah. could chase an 80. They could chase, but they might use some of their cap room to pay to keep Bagley because you know before mm. the, before the Bagley trade, they had like thirty something million. Now maybe they only have twenty something mil because they might keep Bagley. Um, the Pacers have like, say like 23-ish million. Now that's a team that if they really want to start to, they can make some moves to get out. They could potentially get out of Turner, Brogdon, um, and uh, and Buddy. And not just this Lakers idea, you know. Uh, but if they want to shed money and can do it in conjunction perhaps with the Thunder, they could end up with like 35, 40. They could have more cap room than anybody. So I, mm-hmm. I don't really know where the Pacers are going. It's kind of difficult to say. Uh but they're a team with flexibility. Um the Spurs have some. Uh they don't have a ton, but they have some. Uh in the I think in the 20-ish range. I haven't um updated them uh recently so I'll have to I haven't done an analysis of them in the last month, but I'll, I I'm I'm still trying to catch up and if you go alphabetically by city, uh S is like towards the end. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. still trying to catch up. I've been a little bit too busy writing about how the Lakers kind of fell apart. Uh, who else? I think, I think I hit on most of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spurs nuggets. Yeah, they're all over the Hawks. I don't uh, know what they're going to do. The Hawks. I no, no they're over. Um, their main focus will be dealing with the Gallinari money and probably trying to move off of it uh, or cutting them out. Right. Uh, because he's has a very low guarantee. So, you mm-hmm. know, there, there's, there are some t- like technically the wizards, uh would have money if Beale left. Yeah. And technically like the Lakers would actually have money if, if Russ just opted out. It wouldn't be a ton, but it would be some. Yeah. And like the Rockets would have money if Wall opts out. So there's some practical analysis where you're like, it's not what's the maximum they can have, what's the realistic number that they'll have. And that's where you get to the Blazers and you're like, you know, what's the realistic the realistic number is they probably have zero. But they probably they they can certainly have way more than that. In fact, they might be able to have more than anybody. And so because, you know, to get your, your Tyus Jones question, if there's only three or four teams that are spending money, are they spending it on Tyus Jones? Or are they spending it on bigger names or whatever? You have to look at each individual team. Certainly the Magic who have a ton of guards, specifically point guards, don't need Tyus Jones. If you've got Fultz and you've got Cole Anthony and you've got uh, Jalen Suggs, you're going to s- spend your money on you know I mean? It doesn't make sense to go after a point guard. And that's where you start to say, like, what's the Jalen Brunson market? And, you know, where does he end up? Um, he If he ends up on Detroit, which was you know, some, something I had heard could be a possible team that chases him. I don't know. I mean, the Knicks have been said to like him, but they don't have the cap room. So you get into possibilities of sign-in trades, but by and large, most teams are, are over the cap. So they're going to either have what's called the taxpayer mid-level or the non-taxpayer mid-level. And that's basically, we'll, we'll round it, six and a half is the low one, just under 11, you know, 10 and a half or so is the bigger exception, the, the non-taxpayer mid-level. So if really, the market for Tyus Jones is either a team is going to offer up to that six and a half, or they're going to exceed that and go up to the, the 10, 10 and a half, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, 10.3, I think. And so uh, that's the range that the Grizzlies would have to pay. So if they're paying him like 7 million a season, that's more than the lower one. That's a reasonable number. If he got like mm-hmm. a 3-year $21 million $23 million deal starting at 7, that's a reasonable deal for both sides I think, but you know, he gets to stay where he is, he gets to play on a team that has championship aspirations in a role where he thrives. Yes, he's behind a superstar, but mm-hmm. they rely on him pretty heavily and I urge when I talk to when I consult for agents, like on one hand, you have to understand your career is short. You got to get paid. You got to make sure your player gets the money that they need to get. But also, situation and fit is valuable. You might be able to get short term bigger money that leads to a worse career. You know what I mean? So, like, go where you're going to thrive. Where you're going to be. Where your player is going to be happy. Understand that if you turn away money, you may never get it back. Mm-hmm. But that there's a compromise somewhere where you have to find the balance between the right situation and the, and the right money. So sometimes it does make sense to turn away a little bit more. I personally think Ty's Jones is in a great situation. Maybe there's another team that thinks otherwise and would love to go out there and steal him away, but there's only four, four teams ish that we talked about that could do it. I mean, maybe a team paying 10 is too rich for the Grizzlies blood and they let him go, uh, for that amount. But if, if I'm the Grizzlies, I don't do that. So, uh, you know th- those are the teams i mean there i find every team interesting in some way or another so mm-hmm. uh, you know i that those are the teams that jumped out at me you know and off the top of my head anyway there you go uh what, we'll end on this what
0: do you think is the craziest salary move you'll, we'll see this summer what what do you think it is is it something a team does is it something mm-hmm. that a player does what do you think's the the craziest thing that happens
1: uh that's a good one um I mean, I don't know if I have specifically an answer, but I would be curious to see, like, how do the Knicks deal with kind of the unpleasantness of of what's been the season with Julius Randle Mm -hmm. and his large contract? Uh, I'm curious to see what happens there. Uh, We talked already about the one I'm most curious about is, like, what do the Thunder do with their cap space, which has an expiration date? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what triggers teams to move. Teams don't... Teams do move on occasion, when they don't have to but they're sort of like teams don't make deals until the deadline typically mm-hmm. you know we had like the the powell just like writers happening. we need
0: our deadlines Riders need right. deadlines to know exactly. when to, so yeah.
1: so the thunder have an active deadline and because no one else is under the cap right now the, now there are teams with with trade exceptions mm-hmm. so they can absorb like the blazers can use their 20 million dollar trade exception to help another team open money but what teams are looking to open money either to get under the tax to move a player like Westbrook or to go to get cap room. Uh, and then the other question, which is really, you know, it's, I don't know about like wild or crazy, but like the Suns have to pay. And like, they, I can't imagine a world in which they wouldn't pay eight and pay whatever mm-hmm. it takes, but they weren't open to do that up until, you know, in in an extension. So, you know, you have the best team in basketball right now. Chris Paul was out. Uh, Devin Booker was out and Aiden was, uh, good with good in all situations, but you know, he, there were some stretches maybe in the beginning of the season. He was a little slow, but like, he's been rock solid all the uh-huh. way through. Like, What's the issue? So I would like to see them pay Aiton, but um, just because like common sense says they should, um, because it's so hard to have a team this good. It's so rare. Uh, it's like, are you going to be too smart where you decide that like, we don't need this guy for some reason. Cause you have Biombo and JaVale McGee and, and, so uh You need
0: when you can just do Aiton for LeBron.
1: <laughs> so uh it, but Get it, James it, Jones it, back. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh but if you if you if they decide not to pay Aiden, mm-hmm. that's a curiosity. Who were to, you know who who plays the uh offer sheet game, who tries to steal him away? I think that's interesting. I think it was more interesting before because after they didn't give him the extension, I think the possibility of him leaving was greater. But I mm-hmm. think the funds I don't know the Suns are using common sense. I'm assuming they are, Mm -hmm. right? No, I mean, I don't assume any team. I'm not not picking on the Suns. I'm saying Mm -hmm. I don't know what team uses common sense. I think in the last couple of years in society, we've seen common sense is not really that common. So, you know, it might be a misnomer. So I'm not going to assume that they make the right choice. But I think, you know, keeping Aiden is a clear choice. So we'll have to wait and see. But um, I look forward to the summer. This is like my bread and butter. Uh, That's really where... Um, what I do kind of is put on display a little bit more than in season uh, after the deadline, especially, you know, it's like I, 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 I'm i very busy leading up to the deadline and then it kind of pauses for a minute uh, because I do game analysis. I do all kinds of normal analysis that that I've been doing my whole career, but more mm-hmm. of my focus has been on the projection of you know team movement, player movement, salary cap a- analysis and that sort of thing. So um, we're heading into my tax time if you're an accountant. So looking forward to go. it.
0: Speaking of folks, you only got like two weeks uh, to get that stuff ready. Um, it's quickly approaching um, yes, and it's right. It's the day. I think it's tax day. days. My birthday, April 18th. Is that correct? Um, happy birthday. Then I filed <laughs> already.
1: Uh, I got it done. Yeah. So
0: there you go. Uh, I, yes my mom's an accountant, so she does it all for me. So she will, uh, I don't think she's done mine yet. That's a, Hey folks, if you can get a mom, that's also an accountant, that is a great win. So I don't know how you can control that, but if you can folks make sure you go ahead and do that. It's a nice thing. Uh, Eric, what can the good folks we've mentioned several of your articles that are out right now at bleacher report? Um, what can we go check out outside of that? And also a reminder on BleacherReport.com: sports, business classrooms, all that good
1: stuff. Sure. Well, most of my writing is at Bleacher Report uh, on national teams. And then uh, with all the drama with the Lakers, a lot of Laker coverage. Uh, and if you just look, I like, like I mentioned earlier, there's the you know, what do the Lakers do next? And if you look uh, end of March, I guess last week, I wrote about uh, you know, how they got into this mess in the first place. Just look, uh, Eric. Well, if you look, go to Twitter, E-R-I-C, at E-R-I-C-P-I-N-C-U-S, you can find a lot of that. Uh, also, I am writing on the sports business classroom uh, website uh just more in more instructional uh based content about uh its analysis like i of the blazers like why it may or may not make sense to go over the cap or under the cap so I'm kind of taking like a principle and applying it to a real world team and uh, if you're into that sort of thing it's it's um really you know i i find it I'm writing it because I find it interesting uh those topics and then if you're looking to get into the business of basketball, be it on uh, the the front office side, work for an agent, uh, work in media and broadcast, uh, coaching, scouting, video analytics, uh, Sports Business Classroom has an immersive program in Las Vegas at Summer League. You're actually in the Summer League. It's, it's run by the people. It's owned by the people who actually own Summer League, Warren Legary and, and Albert Hall, who created Summer League in Vegas. Mm. and so uh we're partnered with the nba so we get like the best like we get like we've had mark cuban speak we've had uh adam silver Masai, um like anybody you can think of in the industry uh, tommy shepherd and rob palinka and the the list is i i don't want to insult anyone i've left out uh it's just like the best program and what i love Mm -hmm. about it um this is not my main gig this is Mm. like Something I do out of, like, I, Larry Kuhn, who's, like, the 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 godfather of, of CBA, CBA education. FAQ. I still use but, it. Yeah. He's the general manager of the program. We teach. You're learning from uh, me and him the actual, like, you know, how the salary cap works. But all that aside, I mean, it's great, great program. It's not, like, our main thing. We do it out of love. But what we really get out of it is that we get people jobs. And... Uh, like i just announced today on my twitter uh is a student who took the 2021 which is our most recent summer it was i guess i don't know august yeah because we're off usually it's july august he was a student in person uh and he just got a job uh that uh was announced the other day with the nuggets and we have like i have people that we've gotten jobs with the nets and the celtics and like jeff siegel who works for clutch took our oh,
0: old friend of the pod old i lost yeah. him because he went to clutch i lost him yeah. as a freaking contributor yeah
1: and then um the uh washington dc the the city go uh, gogo city gogo mm-hmm. see I'm, I'm saying it wrong yeah. um the capital what, what the heck i think it's capital, capital city, city go. Yeah. thank you um their gm is uh is amber amber nichols she is a former student she's the gm of the hmm. team um and nick Lagios took the the program and he's the gm of the capitanes which is the mexico's mexico city i think uh hmm. the G League expansion that um hurt by the pandemic uh i think this was i don't think that i forget where they played this year they they didn't really have their normal season this year they kind of did tournament stuff they did the bubble not the bubble the Julie showcase and stuff but i think next year is the first year they're supposed to actually have home games um outside of of america so uh and and that's another former student so uh and then so other former students are practicing agents now and um Summer on coaching staffs and things like that, so uh it, it's just what I love about it is that we get we really help people get jobs that 's the point of it so it's an investment in yourself if you're interested, uh, hit me up and you have questions about it. you can go to sports biz class mm-hmm. uh, on Twitter or just google sports business classroom or just hit me up with questions and uh, we're uh, we're in July, so we're starting to get ready for it and it is it is really a lot of fun so my favorite time of year, so looking forward to it
0: okay. There you go. Well, this has been great, Eric. Thank you so much for making the time. Go check out his stuff at Bleacher Report. Go sign up for the class if that's something you think might be a good fit for you because, hey, we just learned. It has results. Go do it. Um, Eric Pincus, thank you so much for making the time. We'll have to check back All in right. again
1: soon. All right, anytime. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Oh, we're, we're good. This is a cold open. You got a dog like this is a very dog friendly podcast, Coach right, Josh good. Niblett. Uh, what kind of dog do you have? That's how we'll start. How do hey, you I
2: got a boxer red healer? So he's a rescue dog, he's had uh-huh. two ACL surgeries, so he's he's been through it all, brother.
0: Two ACL surgeries already. What? So I know you're a fit guy. What kind of are you bringing the dog along on these workouts? Is that, is that well, what's I happening here?
2: In, well, until the second ACL surgery, he can't uh-huh. run with me anymore, so uh, you know. But he stays pretty active man. He's just kind of laying down here beside me right now so okay. when mama gets mama gets home here in a minute he could go nuts <laughs> so it just depends
0: Hey, it's a dog friendly podcast. I just kicked my dog out because uh, the Sports Renaissance woman's gonna get here just like you any moment, yep. and she's gonna lose her mind and bark and go crazy. So I'm like, can't have it. So Hello. she's pretty upset. She's in the other room, blocked <laughs> away. But the pod comes first. Um, yep. What is your workout routine, Coach? What uh, What is a day like? Because you're like for folks who don't know. Like yeah. I know a lot of coaches. You're pretty like you're pretty jack compared to a lot of coaches I know. So what is what is your routine like on it? Do you have a well, normal daily routine or is it change?
2: Oh yeah. Well, I kind of have a routine that I've kind of always been on. I mean, like I've I've worked out since I was probably ten or eleven years old, just you know. And then when I played at Alabama, of course, you had to work mm-hmm. out. And then when I got through at Alabama, then I kind of went into bodybuilding a little bit. And then I was a strength coach in college for a little while. So then I went into powerlifting. And then when you get to be fifty years old, this past January, it's all about survival modes, so <laughs> trying to be in good shape. I used to worry about seeing how big I could get, but mm. now it's about how lean I can be. And so, you know, I get up and train in the mornings and I try to get up before you know we have our workouts. And
0: what I time do- are we talking here?
2: So normally, you know, I'm normally in there by five thirty in the mornings, and then in the summer it might be five o'clock in the morning. So it just depends on what I've got going on that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we're starting workouts and so I'll train with the kids sometimes in the weight room. Um, you know, I'm on this burpee kick right now where, you know, I try to do all these burpees and try to get a certain amount done, you know, okay. during the day, my brother kind of got me on that. So he's a kind of a hit workout guy. I'm still kind of like to lift weights. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I've still got a lot of injuries that kind of control that for me and dictate that. So I don't have a labrum in either shoulder. So, oh, wow. You know, when I do bench, it's a little bit different. And, you know, I mean, so now it's not about how much weight I can do, it's more about reps. And so I'm just trying to stay fit. And, you know, I'm a high energy guy. So, I mean, I'm always burning calories, uh, but mm. I'm always staying on the move. And my wife here, she knows. So she's always like, hey, something ain't going good. She's like, hey, go for a run, go work out, go do something. So, uh, she knows and so she knows me better than anybody else but I enjoy working out and I enjoy having an opportunity God's blessed me with a healthy body so I want to make the most of it.
0: Good run man I'm a big runner and uh like there's nothing better than the runner's high like when you're stressed and you just keep moving running people like if you're scared of running it's like it's not the physical thing it's the mental like every running is entirely mental you will be completely amazed at what you can do when you just move past the mental thing.
2: Well and now now look now I don't I don't mm. Yeah. That runner's high now. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I ever get to that moment, you know, really? I mean Well, I mean, you know, my thing is is like now, oh. you know, when I used to pound the pavement for like 30 miles a week, is, that would be about yes. all I would do. Cause I wasn't trying to be a marathon runner. I'm just trying to burn calories. Cause I like to hmm. eat. And so okay. now it's, You know, I get on a glider. Now I get on a treadmill. Then once the weather starts being consistent where I can get outside, then it's a whole lot better. But, you know, when you start getting to 50, 60 years old, you got to start taking care of your knees and your hips. And so, you know, I'm not interested in having hip replacement surgery or (laughs) knee replacement surgery. So I got to find other ways, whether it's burpees or speeding my workout up or tempo. Um, But, yeah, I I can't honestly say that I woke up every day and I go, man, I can't wait to go run today. Um, the last fifteen years, I've just made myself go run every day. Yeah,
0: so. uh, it's just different folks, different things for different folks. Um, are you a coffee guy? Because if you're up at five a.m., man, like oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, okay.
2: I'm, well, I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to even tell you how okay. much the coffee I drink a day. So,
0: well, I nothing mean, would surprise me after Dan Campbell's talking about the. Did you ever hear what the Detroit Lions coach what his daily order is at Starbucks? No. Okay, so he's doing. Um, shout out to Dan Campbell. So he's doing. He's another high energy guy. Jack, yeah. Dan Campbell. Oh yeah, dude. love him. Yeah, he's great. But he had he gets a, a double, like a, a two large Starbucks coffees with five shots of espresso in it. So wow. it's like it. The milligram count. Someone did the math on like what his yeah. daily order is. It's like he shouldn't have a heart anymore. I yeah. don't understand how that man's functioning. So trust me, nothing would surprise me.
2: Well, when COVID hit and we Uh had the pandemic, then I joined Panera, because I love Panera Coffee, to the Uh Unlimited Sip Club. And so... (laughs) They waste a lot of money on me, so I'm at least getting two to three cups out of there every day that are largest. So uh, okay, and I make an espresso at home, but I'm a black coffee guy. So yeah, you know I'll do some decaf every now and then. Matter of fact, me and my wife and my son just got through eating dinner, and so mm-hmm. I told them I had a podcast, so they're having to bring my decaf coffee to me. So
0: I think we're the same person, just different different roles. I'm a big decaf. Guy. I just do decaf and coffee and water, and yep, then that's it. I mean yeah all you need What's that it? is all you need um well also coach josh Nib- niblet is here so that's something we should probably start off but we just jumped we dove right in you're you're a natural so you'll be a like once uh, you're in your 50s like oh once God. that coaching thing why like uh winds down i think you got a future in the podcast game because you're just well, you know, you're, it's
2: funny you say that because mm. somebody you know i'm actually trying to get a podcast started okay um, this year and so you know whether it gets done or not i don't know but you mm. know it might be a deal where i have you on with me yeah which would be awesome also.
0: Oh, I'm down. I am absolutely down because, you know, I went, I finished up undergrad in Gainesville because the journalism department at the University of North Georgia, Gainesville. Hey, I'm I'm familiar. I am familiar with uh, Gainesville. So before that, though, I want to get a read. So you're at Gainesville now. We'll get into Gainesville. But you came from a very high profile place. And Alabama football, I am not as familiar with. Now I've gotten to learn a lot more about Tennessee high school football. And let me just tell you, the T-S-S-H-A, whatever they call it here, is a mess, Josh. Like an absolute mess. The playoff system makes no sense. You're three and seven. You're making the playoffs. It's all these different classifications. When I become sports czar of the state of Tennessee, I'm fixing all this. I'm like, G-H-S-A. Has it down like this all makes sense? It works like you guys got to get your act together. This doesn't make any sense, not real champions can't do it. Um, but I want to start there. So, what, uh, what, what do you like when you decide to move your family from Alabama to Georgia this late in your career? What, what led you to that decision? What made you want to change that big well, of a change, too?
2: I, I never really thought about retiring mm-hmm. in my career. I mean, I didn't. I never really thought about that. And, you know, I loved my job there. I've been there 14 years. We'd won a lot of games, won some championships. And, you know, we mm-hmm. got to coach with some coach some really, really good players that went on to play college ball and coached with some really good coaches that went on to be coordinators and head coaches. And so mm-hmm. really good community. Um, we had a great opportunity. Loved my family there, raised my family there. I mean, so, you know, my biggest thing was is there was an opportunity that when I started thinking about, yeah, I'm turning 50 in January. Did I need something fresh? Did I need something new? Did I need something to sharpen my edge? And so for me, it was, you know, it's about trying to retire from Alabama and I had a lot of six days left. So I was able to buy, you know, a year back and, Mm -hmm. and then, but I wasn't going to leave there for just anything. And so, you know, Well,
0: well, what drew you to Gainesville? Well, my AD
2: walked in one day and so, this is I wasn't even thinking about leaving, and he's like, hey, have you seen Gainesville? And my AD and I are like – people are like, your AD <laughs> came to you? Well, my AD and I were best friends, and so we hmm. were always looking out for each other. But he's like, hey, you see what they're doing at Gainesville? Well, the only thing I knew about Gainesville was is, you know, when I was coaching QBR camp, we, we did a little camp at Riverside Military School for about three or four years, so I would go on a run in the morning. Hmm. And there was two things I remembered about Gainesville. Well, three things. I'm a mellow mushroom addict. I could eat mellow mushroom every day. All right. Then yeah. Street Cafe. All right? uh-huh. I I buy it, but didn't get to eat there, but smelled the bacon. And mm. then Street Park. And then, you know, those three things I thought, man, I never thought I would ever be at Gainesville High School. Mm. But I thought to myself, man, what a neat community. And so, mm. When I heard him tell me that, then I kind of looked into it, but I didn't think nothing about it. And I was like, "Hey, well, you ought to call them and see what they're going to do." Mm-hmm. I didn't know if they already had somebody in mind, and 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 how the hiring was going to go, what they were looking for, the time, the you know what was you know salary. Were you going to be able to bring your staff in? You know what what were you going to be able to do? And so, long story short, uh, got an opportunity to to interview and felt like that was the thing God was leading me to do. And I turned it down. Um, But then they wouldn't stop. They called again and a few times. And then I thought, well, man, I think God's calling on me right now. Yeah. There's some lives that need to be impacted. And so my wife and I picked up and our son will be a a junior next year. Mm -hmm. That was probably the toughest thing. My daughter plays junior college softball in Alabama. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: we were 50 minutes away from her. Now we're three hours and 40 minutes away. Um, my oldest son plays at Cumberland University in Lebanon, mm. Tennessee. We were probably three and a half hours from him there, and now we're four. So that wasn't as big a deal. Um, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is my wife. I just want to make sure she was happy. And yeah. uh, this was a great opportunity for us and, you know, coaches of ministry for us and our family. And so we felt like a hey, no better place than to be somewhere where you're wanted, and where you need it. And it's not that I wasn't wanted or needed at Hoover, but I needed something fresh and I needed something yeah was going to spark me and uh, I want to make, you know, another run at it. And so, you know, we've kind of sunk our heels in here and we're excited about being here.
0: How long do you think you'll keep coaching? Have you thought about that part of
2: it? Until they tell me I can't. (laughs) So, uh, Yeah, but, you know, I'm I haven't been coaching for 24 years. I've been coaching for one year, 24 times. So I see it differently. I I try to give myself. I'm my own worst critic. I wake up every day. I'm the same way at living 365 days. I don't do it. I live one day 365 times. And so that's the way every day something new to me. I know I don't have tomorrow. All I've mm-hmm. got is right now. I can't worry about what I did yesterday. Um, and so for me, it's not about reinventing yourself. I just think it's about giving a better version of yourself and being 1% better and making marginal gains each and every day.
0: I'm a, yeah, I'm a firm believer in that and just attacking, like, it's just, yeah, I, I 100% understand where you're coming from. Um, So what what are you going to miss most about Hoover? So with all the folks that grew up watching yeah. two a days and yeah. all of that, how much of that is just like sewn into the community that like Hoover yeah. is like this national brand? Because Gainesville is a big brand, too, especially in the state of Georgia. But Hoover yeah. just being on an MTV show and right. everything that was like, what was that like coaching in that environment?
2: Well, it was awesome. You know, it was mm. awesome. I mean, there's, there's an expectation. You know, people would always ask me, you know, in the summer, like, how are we going to be this year? And I was like, well, I didn't know we had a choice. I mean, <laughs> I just know, hey, well, I think mean, we'll be 500 or whatever. It's, hey, yeah. ship or a bust. And so that's what, that's the same mentality I want here. Mm -hmm. But if you don't verbally speak, it'll it never happen. So we talked about championships day in and day out, whether we were in the weight room, in the classroom, in the meeting room, at home, in the community. It was about being a champion on and off the field and being a champion in all we do. And so I think when your language is that, then Mm -hmm. there's an expectation to whether you're in the seventh grade or whether you're in the twelfth grade or whether you're in the first grade fixing to come up to that program because you got to understand, like, I mean – I coached guys that were three years old when I got there, two years old when I got there. And so those kids coming through our program, we're all about community. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that was the neatest thing. I think the biggest thing you always miss, you, you miss your kids. You miss the, kids, mm-hmm. you miss the camaraderie of the community. But I think the biggest thing is in Hoover, like there's things to do in Hoover. Like, you know, there's mall to go to there's, you know, movies to go to. And so, you know, I think, when it's big, it's big. And, and I miss, you know, the will be something I'll miss just for the fact of being that, you know, you play in front of 15,000 folks, a a big game on a, on a Friday night. So, uh, but I mean, Hey, it's, it's sometimes it's bittersweet, but for me, you know, I don't have any regrets. Like I don't look back. I enjoyed my time there. I was blessed to be there and I got to be around a lot of great people um, but I think everybody kind of understood also, and, uh, sometimes it's good change is good and yeah. uh, maybe they needed to change and maybe I needed to change, but Hey, we'll find out here probably in about five or probably about five or six months.
0: Well, I think you get more time than that. This is year zero. I'm a firm believer in the year zero for coaches where when you go into a new situation, you got to throw out with just rosters and getting acclimated, learning this, learning, just the community, learning everything. It's just year zero. I don't look at anything with a new coach in year one. Because I don't think it's a year one. I think year one is after you've already been there a year and you've gotten acclimated and everything else. Do you share that sentiment? I feel like you don't because you're a day at a time guy. I didn't think you did.
2: I don't because that's not fair to the seniors. That's not fair to the guys I'm coming into. So, you know, they got one year left. They deserve Mm. my best. They deserve a championship. They deserve an opportunity to order a ring. They deserve an Mm. opportunity to play for a ring. And so, you know, whether you ask them, like, I'm not here to win undefeated seasons i'm not here to win region championships we're here to win state championships and so you know i want our seniors to understand that and i got their back on that and so i'm going to make sure every day they're coached hard days mm. they're gonna like it some days they won't like it but i'm gonna coach them hard because i owe them that and they're gonna trust in that every day um but i'm not i'm not promised two years i'm not yeah. promised three years from now i'm just promised right now what i got so we got to make the most of it and so Until somebody tells me different, you know, I mean, I always tell people like if you want to be a champion, the champion's destiny is always to lose. And people go, well, that don't make any sense. Well, yes, it does. If you're a true champion, you're going to push the envelope. Yeah. Push it every day. You're going to keep pushing it every day. And if you lose, you don't you you just fail. You're not a failure. And so get yourself back up off the mat. You'll learn how to win again. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're learning how to win again. And then uh, we're learning how to have the right attitude going forward.
0: Is there one moment, though, for you that was harder than any other loss in your coaching career, where you're like, "This one was hard oh, yeah. for me to get up off the mat." For
2: oh, well, it's two years, and so okay. You got to imagine. I'm at Hoover High School. My first year there, we, you know, we probably really, sh- you know, I don't know if we should have made it to the finals or not, but we did, mm-hmm. and I mean, our kids showed up, played their tails off. We got beat like sixteen to thirteen. So, mm-hmm. um, we went in in 09. and so we come back in '10. We're undefeated, and we play uh, Team Daphne High School, who had mm. five guys that are playing in the NFL right now. Huh. Um, and they beat us seven to six, and we miss a field goal at the end of the game. Oh, you know, I go into press conference oh. and I just tell them straight up to God be the glory. Hey, look, it was an opportunity, you know, and it didn't happen, but we'll learn from it. The next year, we come back, we play a team out of their starting. 24 or starting uh-huh. 22, they had 26 signed Power Five scholarships mm-hmm. in Prattville High School. And so it's Jamie Dubose was coaching there that was at Lounge. Um, I
0: know him very well. He just left, actually. Yeah. I think.
2: Well, yeah. Well, he's at Orange Beach, but he was there. And yeah. then uh, they beat us uh, 35 34. We went for two, mm-hmm. to didn't get it. And so you got two straight years. And I think the neatest thing about it, though, Chase was this being humbled knowing you got to go back to work and then being locked in on what you got to do. Then we won, then we won fifth, we won 30 straight games and then won three, three back to back to back championships. Um, Wow. And so, you know, we could have (laughs) won. Thing about it is we could have won close to six back to back all the Mm -hmm. way. Uh, But, you know, everything happens for a reason. That was probably the hardest getting up off the mat for me. Um, But, you know, speed of the pack is the speed of the leader. And the speed of the leaders, the speed of the pack. And so, you know, they were looking at me. And mm. uh, so I had to get myself up off the mat. Don't nobody feel sorry for you. And then when I was at Hoover, don't uh-huh. nobody feel sorry for us. I mean, so that's that's the thing. And so, so what now what? So what are we going to do? And so we got back focused on what we were doing, but it was a tough time. Do
0: you remember what you said to the kicker after that, your kicker at the time after that mess?
2: Well, I've always said it never comes down to just one play. I think mm-hmm. one play always has an opportunity to make a difference in a game, but it's like Coach Stallings used to tell us at Alabama that, you know, there's five or six plays that a culmination of those plays come up to make the difference in the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's never just one play. It's never just one player. You know, we had an opportunity to snap before that uh, with the ball on the one yard line, you know, and it's second it down and we jumped. And so, now all of a sudden it backs us up to the six. And so we should have just punched it in by, you know, being able to run power or quarterback sneak. But instead, you know, we jump, do we jump, we have a false start, and it mm-hmm. backs us up. Um, but, yeah, I remember telling him, look, man, I mean, that's, you know, I love you. I mean, that's the first thing I could tell him is I love you and you don't worry about it. You know, you've had a great opportunity. You've made the most of your opportunities, and you control what we can't control. And so uh, the kid went on to, to be a really, really good kicker.
0: How long did it take for you to find your, like, cause as a writer and like podcaster and things like that, like you find your voice, you keep throwing stuff out there. It's kind of like what you're saying. It's just every day you get 1% better and you kind of, you just have to figure it out. You just have to try. Like so much of life is just showing up and just putting yourself out there and figuring stuff out. And you'll be amazed at what you figure out along the way. When, when did it figure out for you? You're like, this is my style. This is my messaging. This is how I'm going to coach. This is the way I got to do this.
2: Yeah. I, you know, like my dad, my dad was a high school football coach for 35 Mm. years. So I played for my dad, but my dad and I are kind of, you could see a little bit of my dad in me, but like fashion wise, no. (laughs) I mean, so, you know, I'm a flat bill guy, you know, I I still wear skinny pants. I wear joggers on the sideline with dry fit shirts and, you know. The Kyle Shanahan
0: of high school coaching. Do what? The Kyle Shanahan of high school coaching. I like it.
2: No doubt. Well, Kyle's one of my, one of my, uh, my idols that I, I like to watch. and uh, But, yeah, I, I think it was just me figuring out and being comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. I've always been comfortable in my own skin, um, and I've never been worried about what people thought about me or or any of that kind of stuff. And I think when I got through coaching college and I was being a high school football coach, it was only me and two other guys coaching at Indiana High School. Mm-hmm. For Five years. and So then you find your identity. And I think you can't be scared of being able to change your game a little bit. You can't be scared to, you know, try to find a way to sharpen your edge a little bit more. And then evolve as the game evolves, because there's guys in the game that the game passes them by because they want to bob with the game. I mean, you look at Nick Saban. I mean, you would have thought eight years ago, he would have never went to no huddle. Play yeah. with tempo. And then now he's, he's beating people with it because he knows that now it's about offense. It's not about defense anymore. And so, mm-hmm. I think once you understand your style, um, a way you go about your business, then I think you got to surround yourself with people that support what you're doing, that are going to speak the same language, but that you can develop and let them be the head coaches with their own swagger, with their own style, with their units.
0: Mm hmm. Do you even recognize your just when you're, if you put on the film of like your first year coaching versus the film from this past year, does it even look like you're playing the same game?
2: No, 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 it it doesn't. Um, You know, it's, but the game's evolved a lot since 2000. Um, Mm -hmm. You can see my wife in the background. She's home, Buck will be barking here in a minute. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're on the podcast there. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. I, you know, and, and the thing about it is, like, but if you would have watched us play in 2000 and then, yeah. you know, kind of seen all the other offenses, you'd have been like, man, that's pretty innovative on certain stuff. And then, mm-hmm. but now, like, we're a big 11-12 personnel team. Um, You know, we're a lot like the Rams. We're a lot like the hmm. 49ers. I mean, if you come watch us. um, a lot of zone know, reads. style offense that we hmm. run. You know, we shift a lot, motion a lot. Um you know, we're going to take shots, but we're going to win the box. You know, we want to win the box in the run game on both sides of the football. We're going to practice that way. We want to be physical. We want to be tough. But we want to get our playmakers. I don't I don't call plays. We call players. And so we want to try to get as many of our players' touches than the guys that we know. Because at the end of the game, the last thing you want to do is, God, we should have got so-and-so touches. And so I think that's the way the game's evolved. And I think in 2000s, it was more about plays and drawing up mm-hmm. touchdowns. And now it's about players. And now it's about, hey, how can I get the ball in his hand? How can I be creative? You know, how can we create mismatches? Because football now is about numbers. It's about space. Mm. And How can you win a numbers game, and then how can you get players in space?
0: Yeah, it's just high school especially, man. When I, like, watch tape, it's just – you know, going in, you'll talk to somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, they don't, there's something that they can do. It's not like free agency and anything else where you can make a trade. And you're like, Oh, this is a, this is a problem we have here. We need to address this. It's like, no, that's going to be a problem that you have all season long and everyone's got the same tape and they're going to just go with that over and over and over again. Cause it's like, why would you deviate from that when they have no answer? Like it it gets old, but it's, it's cold blooded sometimes in Georgia, Georgia high school football. Cause it's like, we know your weakness and we're going to target it. what, uh, what's the hardest part about learning your scheme though? What is the hardest part that you've noticed that players find is like, okay, this is going to take some time for me to, to learn with your, with your scheme. Well,
2: I, and, and the thing about it is, I mean, our, our offensive scheme, like if you look at the whole gamut, I mean, I think mean, mm-hmm. the hardest thing for the players is when they try to look too big at the picture and they look, mm-hmm. oh, I got to learn that. And I got to learn all that. But then they don't, because when you look at a puzzle, when all the pieces are separated, it looks like, man, I'll never figure this out. Yeah. But then once you put the puzzle together and you understand every piece fits and you try mm-hmm. to compartmentalize it, fix it here, the install here, install there, install there, and then understand how it fits, then it's unlimited mm-hmm. on what we can do, the tags we can add, who we can shift, who we can put in motion, who we can get the ball in their hands because our offense is simple, but it's not easy. You know, there's Hmm. a difference between easy and simple. So our offense is pretty complex, but we play fast. So our kids got to think fast. We Mm -hmm. practice fast. So, but, you know, I think the neatest thing about what we do is how we communicate everything, you know, and so we're a tempo signal team. And so that's the way we practice. And I think once our kids get a gist of what we're doing and then they understand the tags, then it just grows and then kids start asking for certain stuff you know that's what's neat about it we can get underneath center you know we can be in the gun you know we can be in 12 personnel 13 personnel 10 personnel 11 personnel without subbing out and so i think that's what makes things tough on defensive coordinators is is when you you know everybody's about personnel groupings and so for us i think the toughest thing for us as coaches is making sure we get our best 11 on the field not just the 11 best so we want to have the best 11 that fit what we do um and then I think it's important for the kids to understand what we're doing and how they got to go about doing it and then be very technique sound because these kids today, they want to play seven on seven. They want to go to every combine mm-hmm. there is. You know, there is no blocking, there is no tackling, you mm-hmm. know, there is no ball security. So there is no takeaways besides interceptions. And so, yeah. we're not well, you know, really we saw flag
0: football it. might be an Olympic sport soon. So, yeah. yeah. Well,
2: Yeah. And there is no, it's not real football. I mean, so, you know, if you want to win football games, you got to be able to block and tackle. It always Mm -hmm. boils down to that. So, you know, we want to be schematically and give our kids a chance, but also at the same time, we're only as good as what they can learn. I know it all, but Mm -hmm. then I don't get to play it down. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing is understanding what your deficiencies are and then grow your strengths. Do
0: you think you're going to be able to do all the installs you want to do this summer with your new players?
2: Yeah, I do. I do. I think spring ball is going to be highly important with what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we we break everything down a little bit different just because, you know, we're a three-day install off a of schematic, so we we try mm-hmm. to do our installs off of three pods. The first pod is schematic, so, you know, day one, we'll install you know all of our, our run buckets, all our pass buckets, and screen buckets for that day. Day two, we'll go through it. We'll do the same thing day three, and then when we come back the next week, then it's is situational. Now, mm-hmm. everything that you installed as far as your schematic stuff, now it becomes more situational stuff. So, you know, if you're putting in inside zone, then mm-hmm. hey, when we get in a red zone, how are we going to do inside zone a little bit different? What are the motions going to be? You know, how are we going to, you know, how do we want to treat it? How do we want to read it? What do we want to do? And so now your schemes become more situational. We do that for three days. And then the last day, the last week is all about time. So we want to make it time sensitive. So whether it's tempo, four minute, two minute. And then how does every schematic that we have fit into a time schedule? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of how we set it up on our install. So we break it down and we explain why we run what we run with our kids so they know why, um, Mm -hmm. because they want to know why. And I think the more they understand why, then the more they have trust in what we're doing.
0: That seems like a common thread that I've noticed talking to just coaches over the years that the biggest change with kids is that like the based on what they like what they grew up in like just my generation because I'm I turned 31 in a couple weeks so I'm I'm older I know I got like a baby face but like I'm I'm up there and no. it's uh it seems like the biggest change is not like kids just want y- you they want the explanation you have to earn the trust it's not just the blind like i'll follow you because i like you're the coach or you're the authority figure it's more of like if you explain you got me it's just there's a lot more explanation that's been the biggest shift for coaches is that like you have there's a lot more explanation that goes into the coaching process than it was maybe 20 years ago do you do you feel the same
2: yeah i do but i I also think sometimes kids want to know why because they want to know maybe why they're not getting it and Mm. then you know, and then sometimes why they're getting it. Um, mm. But I think the one thing that we've talked about with our players oh. is we just want to make our kids more students of the game. Like mm. understand football. You know, like kids don't want to watch football anymore. They don't want to sit down and watch just a college game for the purity of the football. Yeah. You know, they don't want to sit down and watch an NFL game. They would rather go play Madden, mm. you know and do that than just study the game. And so for us, we're trying to do everything we can to make our kids better students of the game. So when we're talking about a three technique or we talk about a five technique, or we talk about cover three, or we're talking about choke coverage, or we're talking about bunch sets or whatever we're talking about, our kids understand that language and it's not like we're speaking some foreign language to them and then they don't understand it. And so I think that's key also is that's the why is sometimes they don't understand where you're coming from and they don't mm. understand exactly the football of it. And so that's why we want them to know why. I mean, every every day we go in the weight room chasing. When I talk to our guys, I mean, we do a lift. I mean, I, mm. I tell them why. You know, why are we doing this lift? You know, why are we doing split squats for stabilizers? You know, why are we mm. trying to create force off the ground because it's how we run? So I think then you could you have validity within what you do, but more than that, you have credibility. And so kids want to know how much you care before they care how much you know. And so we're going to make sure they understand that every day they come in.
0: What was the most common question you got from kids when you first got to Gainesville?
2: Mm. God, I don't know. I didn't give them much time to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was come in the door and let's go let's hit it running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think there's, I mean, I just have great conversations with our players. I mean, we don't. Yeah. I mean, and I probably- So it was like him, a hit the
0: ground running. There was no awkward transition. It was just, it, no, was, it was seamless.
2: It was almost like, I remember my brother when he came in about the end of January and I'd already been there and he he came in maybe first of February. And I remember the first workout he was in there, he walked up and he goes, I feel like I've been here five years because these kids, they just want to be coached. You know, hmm. they just want to be coached. And so I think that's, I think that's what's neat about them because our kids are, you know, They're just eager. They're hungry. They're sponges right now. Um, You know, they want to come in and give you a hug. You know, they want to leave. You know, we tell each other we love each other before we leave every day, and that's in three months. I mean, Mm -hmm. when I told them that the first day I met them, I told them, hey, I'm going to tell you I love you every day, but now you don't have to tell me back until you get ready. And Mm -hmm. now they want to come up and give you a hug. They want to come up and give you knuckles. And, you know, we talk about our days, and then the next day we come back. I mean, we we try to talk about family. We try to have some – because we want two things in our program. Number mm. one is we want to be clearly engaged. And then number two, we want to have shared experiences. And so every day, that's our job in our program as players and as coaches to make sure those two things happen. Do
0: you have a game circled on the calendar for this fall that you're most excited about in your I, debut? I don't
2: know any of these teams at all. <laughs> yeah, I got – to to who I got circled because they're the first one. Okay. There um, you go.
0: Have any yeah. other coaches in the state reached out to you to kind of like get a feel of oh. what you –
2: well, I mean, I've, I've had guys kind of text me a little bit and said, hey, welcome yeah. to Georgia, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, I I don't know how to say it, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm for Gainesville. So, yeah, okay, that's who I wake up working for every day. So my nose is to the grind and I'm so consumed with what we're doing that I don't have much time to socialize. And so that's just kind of the way I've always been. I'm kind of a yeah kind of business type guy. So it's all about trying to get our kids better. And I can't do that if I'm not there. So that's why, you know, I'm in a weight room with them every day, um, you know, spending time with them and trying to trying to grow them and impact them. Um, and I can't do that uh, if I'm talking to some other people. So um, I'm pretty locked in on our guys and our staff.
0: When you're when the season wraps up. So in a normal, this is a different off season because of the situation with Hoover and and Gainesville and everything, but like a normal in a past off season, the last game's over, you have the break, you have time off. How much time do you give yourself to like get away from football altogether? I'm going to, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about anything of the sort. What do you, what do you do? What's your off season? Like, are you able to
2: do that? Zero. Zero. I mean, but I, but I don't complain about it either. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I might get up about an hour, or half later, um, <laughs> but I'm already writing notes because I keep a journal during the year mm-hmm. and I always write down notes about huh. what we got to do to get better, you know, and you know, whether it's a practice schedule, October, second week, of October, you know, how did we handle Thanksgiving break? Um, you know, Labor Day, we practiced in the morning. Should we have went mid-afternoon and not changed our schedule? How did it affect us? You know, fall camp. So I'm always constantly re-examining and re-evaluating our program and what we've got to do to get better. Now, do I take some time to you know chill out a little bit, drink a cup of coffee? And I mean, yeah, but I mean, well, when nothing I'm chills school, you out like a
0: cup of coffee. Nothing chills yeah. you out like a nice well, cup of coffee.
2: <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm at school. I'm there to work, and you know, like my wife will tell you. I mean, like, yeah. I have a notebook that sits by my my recliner that, you know, when when we got beat out in the semis, I mean, the first thing I did was break that notebook out and start writing in it. And so huh. I think because if you don't, you know, then I think you forget, you yeah. know, what you need to do to get better. And I think uh, I just think it's it's always kind of got to be in the back of your mind. If you want to be a champion, I mean, like, you know, some people see the glass as half full and half empty. I just see it as empty. And so mm-hmm. it ain't full. And so, like for me, I think it's always constantly trying to work to get better and whether it's after the last game or the first game.
0: You need to get that on a Gainesville T-shirt. That's a good saying, right? I haven't heard that before. I like that? that. The glass, I don't look at it as glass half full or half empty. Yeah. I just look at it as it's nothing. Well, I never understood
2: yeah. that whole scenario anyway. So I just uh-huh. feel full. So, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the way we approach it every day.
0: Um, What if – what's been the coolest part about the Gainesville community thus far that you've experienced Try. since coming over Just
2: the people, man. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, the community is so diverse, um, mm-hmm. but the diversity of, you know, if you're on Dawsonville highway and you want to eat it out back, or do you want to drive downtown and eat at the square, or do you want to go on green street and eat at melon mushroom? Yeah. you, know, you got A little bit of everything you got long street. I mean, it's just an unbelievable community of people who, you know, there, there's a lot of pride in this community. I mean, there mm. is, I mean, you think of red elephants, how many other people, you know, have mascot red <laughs> elephant, nobody, cause there is yeah. nobody else. And so, you know, we're unique here and uh, we wake up, you know, wanting to be unique. We wake up being unique in the fact that we want to try to do the right things and support each mm. other, care for each other, give each other the resources that it takes to be champions and then pursue that every day. And so, you know, I think like our, our people here, like want to support our program. They want to support our kids. It's not just football, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything. Uh, it's all of our sports and our people are highly involved with wanting to support our student athletes and give them an opportunity for a future that is bright. Um, And, and then in turn, you know, I think we all try to be one big family and we try to help raise everybody's kids and, and be around them. And so I think that's the neatest thing about Gainesville, and I think everybody, and I think you know that, being from Georgia, mm. that that's one of the neat things about Gainesville in this area.
0: Yeah. Um, have you gone to Lake Lanier at all? Have you experienced the lake?
2: I've rode by it. I've uh-huh. rode by it, but that's about it. Um, okay.
0: Are you a lake been, guy at all? Were you a lake guy in Alabama? Oh
2: yeah, I'm a lake guy. Um, but you know, I'm a I'm a go out and tan guy. That's my. Path. <laughs> I just Like to lay out. So and then okay. But, you know, the Lake deal. you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to work out this summer. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we moved over here in the limestone area. So, yeah, we really like it over here. So we're only about six minutes from actually the where the crew um, races were in the Olympics. And so, you know, oh, to be nice. to get over to that part, that'll be neat, you know, to go over there a day or two a week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's what a neat place around here. What what great opportunities, you know, whether you want to climb a mountain or you want to go mm-hmm. swimming, you want to get on a boat. Um, or if you want to go to the line of gun, walk around the square yeah, Um, and then you're not too far from a lot of places. I mean, I I think the toughest thing for me is I just can't stand driving through Atlanta (laughs) to get to anywhere because Uh, you don't have to patient guy, as you could tell. And so, uh, I do not like traffic and, uh, I've had to learn how to be patient and press pause a few times.
0: Oh man. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you coach that's going to be a part of your life now that like, I, yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. 985 I just
2: home all the time. So. There you
0: go. I mean, I do not miss the amount of time I tell folks all the time. Cause like I'm up here in Knoxville and there's no traffic in Knoxville, yeah. Tennessee. And people complain like, Oh, I was like, if you ever hear somebody running there, I, I was running behind. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? What traffic? Like you sat there for five minutes extra. Yeah. Like I've been in, in gridlock. I mean, I lived downtown for years after undergrad. And I remember one time, like I was, I I was locked in one position for two hours and I called my mom. I was like, Mom, I gotta go to the bathroom and I'm not getting out of here. I don't know what I'm gonna do. This yeah. is like a crate a- Atlanta traffic is unlike anything other and I, I'll I i do not miss it one bit. Um are you a well, reader? I won't, I won't make yeah.
2: you answer what you did as far as having to use a restroom, but I
0: get- thought about it as I was talking about it. I was like, <laughs> I'm probably not gonna just throw that out there. That's a mystery for the uh, oh, for the listeners. It. Yeah. Um what? Are you a reader at all? do you, do you uh, yeah. Time? yeah
2: i mm-hmm. am a reader um but okay. i'm not a guy that feels like i have to read the whole book i know that sounds okay terrible, but if i get what i want out of the book then that's it i'll move on to another one i mean like okay you know like atomic habits i mean like mm-hmm. i could read the first three chapters and i was good with it you know and okay so, um you know good to great is a book that i like legacy about the uh. all blacks new zealand rugby team um the program uh you know, yeah, I do like to read, um, play the man, um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be Christian books or the Bible or, you know, a motivational book that somebody may recommend or something that I might see. Um, if I need to a favorite verse and help the people that I surround myself with, then I'm definitely want to see it and read it.
0: Do you have a favorite verse?
2: Yeah. Joshua 1 9. Have not I commanded thee? be strong of good courage. Don't be afraid, neither be thou dismayed for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest.
0: I like it. You had it ready to go. Cause you're going to throw out the verse. You got to have I've it lived yes. by
2: since I've been five years old. So
0: very cool. Very cool. Um, we'll end on this coach. Um, you're looking at the schedule. I know. I feel like I know uh, based on our conversations, I have a pretty good idea of how you're going to answer this. But um, when you look at the schedule and you look at your team thus far and you just do done an overview and studied, I I'm, imagine you've watched a lot of last year's tape and last year's film from Gainesville. How excited are you that this team can do something special in your first year with a new system, with a new scheme, and all the changes here? That this can be a, just not a rebuild, but a retool, and like this can be something special right away.
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is through evaluation when you know we first started in January. So the number one thing is, are you willing to learn? Mm-hmm. You know, are you willing to walk in every day and just kind of take it off and. Let's lock in and focus on what needs to be done. Are you willing to have sweat equity in what we do? Are you going to work hard every day? You know, our number one thing in our program, if you want to be the measure of greatness and success is consistency. And consistency for us is showing up every day. And so for us, it's about being here every day because that wasn't the case before I got here. Um, and so for me, it was about our kids being there, being held accountable. It's about being good students because we have four pillars in our program. Number one is be a great person. Number two is be a great student. Number three is do whatever you can each and every day to become a better athlete. And then number four is to be a football player. Only mm. until last week did we even talk about any kind of football-related language. Mm. Um, so for us, it was about being a good person first. And so when I figured that our kids would trust in what we were doing – And Mm -hmm. we created a bond as quick as we could. I thought, man, this group's got a chance to be pretty special because I knew they would work hard because that's that's half the battle. That doesn't mean you're going to win it. Mm -hmm. Number two is, are they willing to take on the challenge? You know, they want to get better every day. Like how are they going to be when adversity hits? I think that'll be the key to this group and their success, because everything's not going to be peachy. Everything's not going to be perfect. There are going to be things that we're going to go through that, hey, we're going to have to get ourselves back up off the mat and we're going to have to handle it the right way with the right attitude and then be coachable. And so that to me is something I think still going to be a learning process. And I don't think you learn that until you get into that situation. I think mm-hmm. athletically, I think we got some really, really good players. Um, I think we've got to create some depth. I'm not much of a guy that plays guys both ways. Um, hmm. I've always been a guy that likes to develop guys to be able to play one side of the ball. But, you know, it, it may present itself this year that, we may have to do that a little bit. So, but I think our numbers are getting up. I think we, I think, I don't know what the program ended with last year, but I know right now we're probably at about 120 kids right now. And so, Hmm. which is awesome. And so, which is up about 60 kids from when I first got there. So, you know, and it's an accountability. It's a work hard because if they're not committed to it, they can't be a part of what we're doing. So I think we're growing that. We're growing some leadership and I think leadership will take us a ways uh, and then our kids believing in what we're doing. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes you win two or three ball games just by believing in what you do. And I think the quicker the kids realize it's about us, it's not about our opponent, because that's mm-hmm. how we approach the weeks. And we work to get better and better and better every every week. When I was at Hoover, I think our biggest thing was by seven or eight, game seven or eight, when everybody else was kind of leveling off, we were still inclining up. And I think that's that's got a lot to do with how I handle what we're doing, how our staff handles what we're doing, and then how our kids handle it. So I'm looking forward to it. We got a great opportunity in front of us and we're gonna go make the most of it.
0: There you go. Uh, I lied. I have one more question. I d- like I have got the Waffle House. I'm
2: sorry, I had to call my wife, my my dog's got a pillow. Oh. <laughs> <I'm scared. laughs> Buck's got a pillow, you need to grab it.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh that's the first time on the ahead. podcast. Yeah. No, there you, go. there you go. Um, I'll end on this. While I'm I'm wearing the Waffle House hat right now. Yes, Are big you, time. what is uh what is your Waffle House order, coach?
2: Oh, it's the all American. Okay. Yep, it's all American breakfast. So I mm-hmm. usually get I get the wheat toast. Uh huh. If I add hash browns to it, I want them extra crispy. Uh huh. Um, and then I want eggs over medium. Okay. And I want two waffles. Mm-hmm. And then I want my bacon extra crispy with extra bacon. So
0: <laughs> okay, that's a lot of food. That's yeah, it is.
2: Food. Well, I don't have a problem getting it down either. So I. I I like to eat breakfast. I love to eat breakfast. I mean, I do. So during the week, I only eat like a banana and like some kind of little protein bar or something. Yeah. So on Saturday, either it's Long Street or if I'm on the road, it might be a Cracker Barrel or Mm -hmm. a Waffle House. And so I ate at Waffle House not too long ago. Me and Miss Karen did. So uh, there you go. But yeah, I love breakfast.
0: Josh, how do we, uh, how do we support the Gainesville program? So for the listeners outside uh, Georgia and everywhere else, how do they learn more about the Gainesville program, what you got going on and how do they support uh, the red elephants this season?
2: Well, just, you can follow me on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. at Josh Niblett or Gainesville football uh, at Gainesville football or Gainesville football recruiting. And, you know, we'll have some different things going on that, you know, if you'd love to be a part of it, we'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, Whether it be, Uh, from resource standpoint or just hey one night you want to come to Gainesville and come to city park and experience that because I'm telling you it's going to be something special and uh, what we're about to do here uh, from a program standpoint and from a community standpoint is uh, going to be something special you know and then we're going to sustain it continue to build it year in and year out and continue to grow it And, and I'm excited about it and God's got a calling on this and I pray he has an anointing on us every day and and then we continue to do the right things. So love to have people be a part of what we're doing.
0: There you go. Coach, I wish you all the best. This has been great. Thank you so much for making the time. Great uh, talking with you this evening. Good luck uh, this spring and we'll have to check back in again soon before the season starts.
2: Well, let's do that, Chase. God bless you, brother. I appreciate what you're doing uh, just for just for people in general, man, because our country needs this. And uh, mm. Because you and I, just like we said, we were clearly engaged and we had a shared experience. and That's what it's all about.
0: That's what I want, man. It's just mutual, like just have conversations and learn. Like that's the cool thing is it's just, there's always an opportunity to learn and get better. And like you said, what little bit, marginal gains every day. So, if
2: there's anything I can do to help you out, brother, let me know.
0: Absolutely. Coach Niblett, thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey, y'all, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you again to Coach Josh Niblett of Gainesville High School for stopping by the program. Thank you as well to... Uh, Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report for also stopping by the program, talking all things NBA. I hope you folks enjoyed today's episode. And if you have not already done so, but you like today's episode, make sure you uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player app so that you uh, get updates and uh, when new episodes go live every single day. So Go ahead and do that today if you have not already done so. Uh, tell a friend, family member, uh, co worker about the podcast and about the Blue Wire Pod Network. Yeah, we're a big podcast network. Uh, proud to be a part of the Blue Wire Pod family uh, with the Chris Van Bleet show. You got Spinsters, the basketball show. You've got uh, American Prodigy series, all kinds of great stuff here at BlueWirePods.com. So go check out all the other great shows if you've not already done so as well. Um, new episode of course coming tomorrow I'm gonna see how I'm gonna break this up because today I'm not gonna lie folks jam-packed for tomorrow's show and uh, I got a lot planned for you guys over the next couple days and coming weeks figuring stuff out as we turn the page on a multitude of fronts here Um, but yeah so we'll do that we'll hit the ground running and uh, see what happens but uh, also you can subscribe to this very program on YouTube, youtube.com type in the chase the most podcast, never miss an episode. Um, it just all kinds of great clips, uh, videos, all that good stuff. So youtube.com chase the Most podcast, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button daily newsletter. Uh, that's going to be key for keeping up with this program and everything I've got going on going forward. Uh, sports renaissance, man, that's me. Sports renaissance, man. sub stack.com type in your new email. That's simple. Uh, HQ. Yeah. The headquarters, Chase us, podcast.com. And, uh, yeah, all right, new episode tomorrow. Thank you, as always, guys, and I will talk to you very soon. Go Bulls!
2: Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast, hell yeah.